0: And uh, as I just said, if you want to get in early and avoid the busy signals, you know the number, 210-599-5555. While I punch line number one, say good morning, Robert. Good morning, Bob. How you doing, sir? Uh, it's just a beautiful morning out there. A little chilly, but uh, it's been colder. It'll be colder again. I'm just looking forward to a great day. We're supposed to be up in the middle 70s. We hit 80 yesterday, so uh, I, that's my kind of December weather
1: there you go um quick question just one question um i want to run a water line from the house to the back of my yard i got three acres but i got some nice uh uh, oak trees i live in lytle okay uh my wife asking me if we get a trench a small trench if i if i hit any any of the roots am i going to damage the the tree by any way or how
0: how close uh would you anticipate the lines going to run to the trees?
1: No, I'm saying maybe about ten to maybe ten or twelve feet away from from the
0: actual tree. I don't think that's going oh, to cause. I don't think that's going to cause any problems to you. Are you planning to dig the ditch by hand? Are you going to use a backhoe, a trencher? What are you no, going to do? To to
1: no, no, it's it's sand. It's all sand, so I'm going to use a small trench. Okay. A small trench.
0: Uh, you're not. If you're ten feet away from the trees, uh, Robert, I don't think you have anything to worry about. I also always look long term. You know, at is the tree going to be a threat to your water line? Because as tree roots grow, they sometimes push water lines along, uh, and you know. Uh, pvc pipe of course can can break i can tell you about a couple of joints i've had to replace uh and near some big cypress trees in the back of our nursery so uh, i don't think you run any danger whatsoever the one precaution i would give you is if that tree if that trench is going to be open for any time um then you need to, if you do cut any roots, then you need to paint those roots with something that'll seal them, just the same sort of thing we use on the trunk and if we're cutting any limbs off, because technically those sap beetles could transfer oak wilt into your trees through the root system, but uh, if you're just going to dig the trench, put your water line in and uh, then cover it back up, you don't have to worry about it, but if that trench is going to stay open for a day or two. If you cut any big size roots, uh, you know, just get a little bit of Paint. Doesn't have to be pruning paint. It can just be any kind of latex paint or anything, and seal those roots up.
1: Thank you so much. Let I'm, me I'll, I'll
0: let me tell you one more thing that might be useful to you. You say you're going to run probably about three hundred feet.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to go straight, then I'm going to make a T. It's going to go like two fifty down. Okay, and then uh, across to like safety uh, or something like
0: that now are you going to be using the water uh out at this remote spot for irrigation what are you going to be using the water for
1: no just just to for the for the dog for the water pan. oh okay the water, okay and then when we, when we burn brush we just like to have you know be safe and have
0: sure a water line sure the what the only thing i was going to tell you is when water moves through a pipe Uh, I'm thinking about this because I went to a get-together for our fire department last night. When water moves through a pipe or a a fire hose or something like that, it gets slowed down. It's something they call the coefficient of friction that, that slows down the water and reduces the pressure. So if you ever think that you would need more pressure... You know, out at the other end of that line, if you're going to run a sprinkler or something like that, go ahead and get like inch and a half PVC. I know in, in most cases, and if you're sure you're never going to use anything, uh, but for dog water, then, uh, then one inch PVC is going to be fine. I'll definitely do schedule 40 uh, to get a, a heavy pipe, not schedule 200. But if you anticipate, um ever needing more water flowing through that pipe go ahead it's not that much more money but you get almost twice as much water through an inch and a half pipe as you do in a one inch pipe or maybe even three times as much i'd have to do a little math to tell you but uh, a lot of people will run a long line like that and then they're very disappointed at the amount of water pressure they have when they get to the end so um you could do that You know, it would even help if you're going to run a 300-foot line. Go ahead and run 150 feet of inch and a half, and then, you know, just bail down to or put a reducer in there to go down to one inch. But the further you can go out with a slightly larger pipe the more water you're going to get out of the end of the pipe that may or may not be important to you but i'd hate for you to go to all the trouble of digging this trench putting the pipe in and then thinking man i just don't have much water pressure out here so maybe worth the money to go ahead and use a little bit bigger pipe uh when you're going that far out
1: so you're saying like uh start from a one inch then just drop it out to a one inch at the end towards the end
0: and that would be exactly what i would do
1: Oh, okay. Awesome. I, I, never, I never thought about that. I, I was just going to use three-quarter inch. Three inch all the way down. You'd you know? be
0: very, very disappointed when you got out to the end. So, uh, I yeah, it's called the coefficient of friction, and uh, it sounds like a big, fancy word, but all it means is the longer the pipe is and the smaller the pipe it is, the more it's going to slow down the water and reduce the pressure out at the end of the pipe. So, uh um, long term you will thank me for that bit of information
1: i probably will because I, I call you i call you for a lot of other little questions and my wife and i are like w- what, are we, what what would bob do about this one
0: <laughs> well i'm so glad you do it yeah. it's always a pleasure to talk to you hope you have the very best christmas season ever robert we'll talk again thank you sir have a great morning God bless. you thank too you, thank you sir bye all right, uh next up, and I don't have anybody after Suzanne, so it'll be a great time to dial to grab that number. but right now, good morning, Suzanne. Good
2: morning, Bob. Are you awake yet?
0: uh, as Chris and I say, the nicest thing about uh you know about radio is you only have to sound awake. you don't have to look awake. I think my brain is fairly awake, and uh wasn't a real late night, but golly, we had a we had a big event up in Bernie to uh honor and celebrate our uh, our firemen and women up there last night and something i just couldn't pass up i I don't normally do much socializing on friday evenings but um after going through the citizens academy and everything we've done the past year just really enjoyed being out a little later last night but it's uh yeah i think i'm pretty wide awake this morning we'll see how long it lasts but i'm sure it'll last till at least nine o'clock
2: that's good. That's, you can make the same point for calling into a radio show, too. You know?
0: <laughs> well, see, but the difference is uh, you don't even have to get out of bed. You can just roll over and punch those numbers under the phone, and uh, it's 544. I've already been up for uh, kind of two and a half hours. So, um, yeah, you've got the easier end of the deal out there, but I sure have fun with what I'm doing. So how can I help you today?
2: Well, I am I I'm, uh, live out in the country Uh, East of Seguin, and I've been battling cut ants. Uh Uh, I called you about a month ago, I believe, maybe five weeks. And you asked me to call you back with what I was doing. It seems... Excuse me. I haven't been up long
3: enough.
2: (laughs) See, uh, I have been... Uh, what, what they've done is they have built their underground chamber under my vegetable garden
3: mm-hmm. and there
2: were mo- multiple entrance holes, some outside my garden, but the worst are the ones that are inside the garden. Okay. So what I've, uh, what I've learned works, I think is working for me is I flood the holes with water mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm running a hose down into the entrance hole and, and using as much water as it will absorb for, for two hours. Uh huh. And I, I've got pretty pretty good pressure on my pump, so this is I have no idea how many gallons, but that that's that. And then uh, either after that or before that, I put a, a mixture of two ounces of orange oil per gallon of water mm-hmm. down into that hole. Um, usually before because I you know I see him working and I go okay get the orange well
3: yeah <laughs> and then
2: then around the in, the the entrance hole I put wettable sulfur and watered that in uh huh um, it was so dry out here for so long I gave up on the sulfur because my soil moisture was other than right around the hole where I had been stupid uh, watering mm-hmm. the hose I figured it was not going anywhere it was. Uh, so I, I blade off on that. But what has happened in the five weeks is I've gone from three active entrances, and they they change over time.
0: Sure. To to one. Well, it sounds and like you're been, you're definitely making progress. You know, the one thing, and and from what in talking to lots of people about the blasted cut ants. Um, it seems that flooding the mound is you know is the single most effective thing. The only thing I would add is if you if you know where their underground chamber is, if it's somewhere in your vegetable garden where you could take a rebar or piece of pipe something like that, and you know push down in kind of probe down in, Howard Garrett uses a golf club. Uh, shaft that's been cut off and sharpened, if you could actually make, because the the chamber's not deep, at most it's going to be six, eight inches uh, to the top of the chamber. If you could poke a hole in the top of that and try to flood the central chamber, you might get even faster results at getting rid of them. I mean, sounds like you're making good progress with what you're doing, but if you do have a way to Try to figure out where where the central chamber is, and you can flood that. You might get even more results even more quickly.
2: Okay. I've tried that in the past and been unable to locate where the the chamber is, where they're putting the leaves. Yeah. But I tried that when the ground was completely dried out. Uh Uh-huh. Of course, I've irrigated my vegetable garden, but it only goes... Only goes down so far. Right. We did get half an inch of rain last
0: Uh-oh, week. Oh, lucky you! <laughs> I know, well,
2: I'm, I'm bragging. It was actually point .48. Yeah, it
0: that's, that's that's close enough. Well, one thing that you could do, if you, you know, if you could uh, put a little stake where your three known entrances, even though one of them is uh, only one of them is active now, if you could put three little stakes in there and then you know, take a string and pull it from point A to point B, from point A to point, uh, or from point B to point C, whatever, you know, crisscrossing, just, you know, make a little, kind of a a little network of strings going across. Where those strings touch, um, you know, that probably is where the the chamber is going to be directly under that point. I mean, if you've got two openings on either side of uh, the mound, pull a string across those, and from, say, point oh. A, pull it over to a second one. If those strings cross, then probably you could go right directly underneath that point, and that would be where you'd be most likely to find the mound.
2: Okay. That's triangulation, isn't it?
0: I, it would be a triangulation, yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. I can give that a try. I Just in my mind's eye, I suspect that that might be under the concrete blocks that we use to hold
0: the the soil that that could whatever it's just it's life in the
2: it's a one day in the life of the gardener
0: (laughs) no and uh you're you're making progress and and that's a very good thing but you know when spring comes when that soil starts warming up uh, they're going to want to be active again and uh, I sure would like it if you could pretty much wipe that colony out out before that happens so keep up with what you're doing and uh, I appreciate you getting back to me on how it's going so far and I look forward to hearing the day when there are no active entrances there
2: Me too, you you will be hearing an explosive party (laughs) (laughs) east of Seguin that's what you'll be hearing
0: Very good, well listen, you have a wonderful weekend and a great Christmas season I know we'll talk again all right, Merry Christmas. The same thank you, Suzanne. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, it's gonna be J T and Fay now. Uh good morning, J T. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have a question I have a question about white clover. Okay. Uh can can it be transplanted?
4: I have a friend that has a converted a little garden patch into white clover a little over a year ago. It grew mm-hmm. really well last year and of course died back
0: and now it's just down ground height and they want to get rid of it. Can I Transcribe any of that you can um and and since it's there, and since they want to get rid of it, it would certainly be worth giving it a try. It'd be a lot less work and just as effective to get a little bit of seed. But uh, you know, it's uh, it should transplant pretty easily at this time of year. I would move it and then water it in with either some Garrett Juice or Super Thrive or something. But uh, yeah, I go ahead and do it as soon as you can because, of course, winter is a the time when clover grows and spreads best. But uh, yeah, go yeah, for it. it. It's already it's already trying to come out. Yeah or wanting to do something with it. But, no, you yeah, should I'd be. i like <laughs> <laughs> it,
4: uh, it's off to a head start now, so I just thought maybe if, you know, that, if it would transplant, then that would be a great thing.
0: Oh, yeah, it, it'll transplant just fine. Now, keep in mind that all clovers grow where the soil is worst. So if you yeah. have good, loose, loamy, open soil – your clover's not gonna thrive nearly as much if you have a little bit uh worse soil for it to grow in like most of us do. So uh, Oh we have plenty of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what your clover really likes, or that's where it really thrives because it can out compete anything else that's trying to grow. It'll grow anywhere. But uh if the soil's really good then the other Plants and weeds and things tend to out-compete it. But, no, it should be fine, and this would be a great time of year to transplant and get it started. Just remember to provide plenty of moisture since uh, Mother Nature's been a little stingy with that uh, water recently. Do I need to keep my cattle out of that? Is it going to hurt them? Not going to hurt them at all, but they may be a little hard on the clover. Let it Give it a month or six weeks to get some roots down before you turn them in on it. Yeah, I really was trying to move it for some bees, but so
4: I let it get up and bloom, but it's a lot of volume. I don't know if they'll bloat on that or not.
0: Well, no, I don't think they would, uh, um, you know, depends on on what they're eating, and I wouldn't overdose them on it. It's high in protein, of course, and uh, uh, they're going to absolutely love it. I wouldn't be, you know, it's kind of like alfalfa. Um, You don't want to just be feeding straight alfalfa in unlimited quantities, but uh, if you're hoping to get it up and growing to attract your bees, you may want to keep the cows off of it, uh, at least a good portion of it, just to let it make as much foliage and therefore make as much uh, bloom as possible for the bees this next spring. Yeah, I might use a method. In fact, you turned me on to a, a four-wire
4: fence, right. I, deer fence yeah. system, that uh, and that, that's worked really well. I've got uh, about an acre and a half patched off with electric tape.
0: Very and good. Kept deer, and deer and cattle and everything else out of there. That's so yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, somebody pretty smart over at Parks and Wildlife came up with that one. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize now, if you're you know if you're like my friends in Wyoming and you're running eight miles of fence on one charger, uh, you still got to use that heavy wire to you know to make it effective. But boy, putting up uh, electric fence in smaller smaller areas has sure gotten a lot easier over the past few years with everything from a little bit more flexible wire to some of these polypropylene cords that actually have the wires embedded in it uh electricity is just it's a whole lot easier <laughs> and a whole lot easier to fix when somebody you know when that buck and rut decides to run through it which they sometimes will will do when their mind is elsewhere but uh uh i'm a big fan true. of electric fans Yeah, I just was reminded I had to turn it off, though, before I start working. (laughs) That's the other thing that's kind of fun. I have friends with property along the river that sometimes uh, tubers get a little invasive with uh, not paying any attention, no (laughs) trespassing sign, and especially if they're wet. They really do get the message very quickly with electric fencing. (laughs) Yeah,
4: Yeah. I think they have to get sued, though, for that. It sure would be fun,
0: though. It might be worthwhile. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, Yeah. it might be worth it. But, you know, it's... uh, it is harmless, but it will certainly get your attention. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Bob, for all you do. It's always a pleasure, Jason. Merry Christmas to you as well, and talk again. Thanks. 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 Bye-bye. Bye. All right, let's talk to Faye, Martin Faye. Good morning, Bob. Good morning.
2: Um, we're uh, experiencing some nice weather over here, too, Uh just uh, a, a real good day ahead. It looks
0: like. Yeah, this whole weekend looks like it's going to be beautiful.
2: I want to extend this, but, uh, <laughs> we're <clears throat> having a, uh, my biggest question that comes to me today is just not getting the germination that, uh, should happen with, uh, I'm <clears throat> talking about vegetable seeds primarily, but, uh, can you just go over what might be the cause? or You know, I I know there's some things that maybe we can enhance that germination. Well, uh, try to
0: have good seeds. Yeah, there, there are two or three things that will always help. And, of course, fresh seed is always a good thing. Um, I soak my seed in a, a dilute garret juice solution. I think you could probably use... You know, very dilute apple cider vinegar. There's various things, even just soaking in water for a brief period, not for a long period. If you if you soak for very long, you you'll get the reverse problem. You won't have much germination if you give them. I say no more than 10 to 15 minutes soak. I think that that really does uh, speed up germination, but. Uh, I've known people that say, "Oh yeah, I soaked them overnight," but yeah, that's gonna—that's not gonna help. You want it to be very brief, but you want it to be a good soak. And like say, how this the Garrett juice is what I use. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I doubt you're an experienced enough gardener. That this is probably not the problem, but I see a lot of more novice gardeners that plant the seed too deeply into the ground, and that will certainly slow down germination and. Of course we have had uh we've had some beautiful weather but we've also had some pretty chilly weather and uh cold soil seed is always going to germinate more slowly in cold soil than it will in warm soil so um I those are the things that I would suggest now every now and then you know you just get a bad batch of seed nothing nothing that you did But I suspect that, and I certainly don't blame the seed companies. I don't think they do it intentionally, but I think sometimes they will get some seed, could have been harvested too green, seed that perhaps they didn't realize had been stored for too long before it came to them. So when in doubt, you know, you can germinate seed pretty easily easily putting it between uh, two or three layers of moist paper towels. And what you might consider doing is when you plant your seed in the garden, hold back a small amount of seed and either on a sponge or, you know, between two or three layers of moist paper towels, Put your seed there, keep it good and moist, keep it warm, and if none of the seed sprouts, then you almost have to conclude you've got bad seed. If the seed in the paper towel sprouts and what is in the garden has not sprouted, then it's either planted too deeply or the soil's too cold. It's just slowing down the germination. So um, that's always a good thing to do to check and be sure your seed is good and viable.
2: Well, those are helpful ideas. Uh, so if we use uh, like Medina uh, uh, liquid, that, that'll work as well. well yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I'd I use a the soil problem. activator. Uh, but you might even take the Medina soil activator and add just a small amount of apple cider vinegar. There seems to be just something almost magic about that that apple cider vinegar as far as getting the seeds going in a hurry.
2: Well, I have, uh, that's so available. Um, how How much do you?
0: To, uh, water. to yeah. a quart of soak, I would put maybe a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar.
2: Okay, just a little bit. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: yeah. Well, just, uh, um,
2: I'll report back and, yeah. and see if we can't do a better job here, but those are all the elements that yeah. I didn't
0: realize some of those. And Linda's up there now, so let me punch that button and say good morning, Linda.
5: Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I'm calling in for, I'm calling in for my... A friend of mine who has a pond, it's about an acre, and they put some fish in it, and they're having problems getting rid of the cattails. Mm -hmm. Is there something that they could put in there that would get rid of the cattails and would not hurt the fish?
0: Unfortunately, no. Um, Okay. You know, if it is done at the right time of year, just getting in and cutting the cattails down and normally this is an early spring uh if those cattails you know have the the thing that we call the cattail up on top that you know brown fuzzy top to them you absolutely or they absolutely want to get those things cut off and disposed of because every one of those little seed heads may make 500 or more seed and uh Cattails can be just extremely invasive. Now, um, one of our employees has a um, has an impoundment like this that's uh, up in the hill country, and she got out there, I guess, with waders on um, and cut the cattails down below water level as they started to sprout and I'll have to ask her how they've done but I know she was almost totally free of cattails this past year having done that the timing is important I think it needs to be when they first uh, start to sprout in the spring and I think cutting them you know at or below the surface of the water is an important thing but uh, the they they sell things. They sell some of these four d herbicides, which are cancer causers and nothing I would ever deal with. They actually make a weighted pellet that they tell people, oh, yeah, I'll go out and throw this out there. It'll sink to the bottom and kill all this stuff. But I'm not going that route. Cattails um, are, you know, are, are a nuisance. But uh, you can get rid of them. I have another friend uh, also, uh, in this case, very close to Bernie in the hill country that has a pond that uh, – uh that was just you know the shallower areas were just getting absolutely choked with cattails and uh mike got some ducks just a handful of ducks and put them out there and they totally eliminated the cattails and uh i should have asked him he was at the fire department get together last night but uh i know that they were totally free of them for a couple of years and like i said he got he got four or five ducks something like that on about a two acre pond and uh, they totally control the cattails for them so that's another idea to try
2: Okay, interesting.
0: Thank you very much. Let me know how it works for you. I'll be very interested to hear, because there are lots of folks out there fighting cattails, and what works for one person might not work for the next, so I'd love to hear what you have success with.
3: Okay, thanks, Bob. You're thanks you're welcome for everything.
2: It. We love your show. Okay. Merry Christmas.
0: You're very kind, and the same to you. Thank you so much, and let me get Alan in here. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. So, I have one question.
6: My grandmother has what she supposedly got from somebody else told her was called onion grass. Okay. And it's growing all throughout her yard, and uh-huh. she's been trying to get rid of it. Uh huh. She's tried a couple different things. She went to one of the nurseries, they gave her some organic mix that she had to spray over everything
3: Mm -hmm.
6: nothing has gotten rid of it
0: and what it is it is actually in the onion family uh what the main (laughs) what i wish you could do is convince her it's a wildflower uh because that in effect is what it is it has some other funny names uh uh one of the more common ones is called crow poison i don't know why i don't know whether it'll actually poison crows or not But the problem is it's growing from a little underground bulb, and no matter what you do to kill the top of it, that bulb has the capacity to re-sprout, you know, several times. And I tell you, the only two things that I have found that really work against it are getting your grass so thick that the crow poison simply can't come through it. And you do that, like with a layer of compost at this time of the year and very regular fertilizing and somewhat regular mowing, but, um, you know, it it is a Texas wildflower, in effect, and it doesn't. The only thing that is wrong with it is that somebody has convinced us that it's a weed and we need to try to get rid of it. But it doesn't affect the growth of your grasses. It, it doesn't really cause any harm whatsoever. And I just flat, you know, leave it alone. But uh, I think the compost, I think the fertilizer, especially on St. Augustine, St. Augustine will very definitely choke it out. Uh, The Bermudas, if they're getting plenty of sun, if you'll increase your fertilizer and water a little compost on those, Bermuda will choke it out as well. Uh, If the yard's at all shady, the Bermuda's going to be thin enough that that's not going to work so well, but... I don't know exactly how to tell you to do this but it needs to be a line of something like grandma why do you want to kill those beautiful wildflowers and maybe get her thinking differently about the uh, uh the onion grass or the crow poison or whatever but uh uh there is not there're there plenty of sprays organic and some of the nasty stuff too uh that you can spray to kill the tops but it you know it it will tend to re-sprout and you have to Keep after it. Regular mowing will eventually kill it. Like I say, just thickening your grass up. will you know, choke it out with a little bit of time, but it's not hurting anything, so don't go overboard with uh, what you choose to use on it. Okay, yeah, I guess it'll probably be easier just to convince her that it's not something that she needs to worry about. No, it it is totally, totally harmless. Um, You know, because it is in the onion family, the allium family, not much wants to eat it. I mean, a lot of weeds, uh, well, we've got plenty of bugs and other things so that would happily eat it and take it out, but just nothing eats, uh, onions and garlic, uh, and, and that's why, you know, once they get started, they, you know, not much in nature is going to get out there and eat them or control them that way. So, uh, but they're, they're totally harmless. They're not going to affect the growth of the grass or if she has flower beds or anything like that. Not going to affect the plants one iota. Okay, that's always good to know. Well, good luck with convincing her. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, it's it's a very common thing. But, you know, those little things come into bloom in early spring when not much else is in bloom. So uh, tell her to sit back and enjoy maybe plant some blue bonnets in with them so she won't notice the wild onions. Yeah, that'd
7: probably
6: be pretty nice. All right. Thank
0: you, sir. Well, I wish I'd give you a better answer, but I think that's that's the honest one, Alan. You get out and have a great weekend. We'll talk again. And FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening and uh, over to Guadalupe County. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Well, I'm doing well. There's another James in Guadalupe County, so I'm never sure, but I, I know Faye over there toward Houston will be happy that she uh, gets to listen to the band that she calls Farmer James this morning. <laughs> How are you doing this beautiful morning?
6: Well, just uh, just getting ready to go out and have some fun in the garden.
0: It's going to be a great day for it. I don't know what the plants are going to think about having another close to 80-degree days here in December, but I think uh, Texas plants just have to just have to be like us. They have to be prepared for just about anything. I'm looking at maybe 20s next week and 80s this weekend, so uh, welcome to South Texas.
6: Yeah, it's a roller coaster. Hey, I had to evict uh, all the one-gallon citrus rootstock out of the greenhouse. Uh-huh. I needed uh, the room for all the seedlings were growing. Um uh, so what we did, Bob, is we built a straw bale uh bin
3: mm-hmm.
6: uh two two bales high, all oh, about eight foot or ten foot by ten foot by ten foot by ten foot, and uh put all those one gallon citrus in there and on a night like this just covered over with some six mil uh plastic. Sure. What do you
0: think about that? I would tend to, you know, if the weather's calm, six mil plastic is very good. If the weather's windy, um, I sure do like, uh, you know, even shade cloth will keep frost off of things. And of course, the the so called row cover is even better. But uh, six mil plastic's just like a parachute, and I, you know, knowing how that north wind can come up quickly and uh, take it away from you. Um, I I probably would tend to go more with one of the fabrics that keeps things warm while letting a little bit of, you know, air through. Uh, but whatever whatever works for you. If it's in a protected area, a good old 6-mil plastic works just fine. The other thing in favor of uh, either a, a shade cloth material or a row cover is you don't have to worry about pulling it back off. Uh, if you put plastic over there and we get... You know a couple of warm days and that that plastic hadn't come off it's gonna get mighty warm underneath and might stimulate that root stock coming into a little bit too much soft succulent growth so i'm I'm not a big fan of six mil plastic uh for a coal frame in effect I think they're in in for me. There would be uh, a better material out there, but as always, if it's working, don't mess with it. If that's what you've done in the past and it's worked well for you, uh, then I'm certainly not going to be one to say don't do that. But those are the reasons that I like something that's not quite so much like a parachute, because, man, if you ever have ever tried to hang on to a piece of six mil plastic, or every now and then we get caught, and we're trying to close in a greenhouse or something or other when the wind's blowing, it's not easy to do.
6: You know how we roll up the uh, uh, plastic on the uh, cold frames?
0: Yeah, We've yeah. have
6: got a, a pipe and then a, you know, a winder, and then it's attached.
0: Yeah, and that would That's work what
6: fine. we got on top of the, uh, the bale bin.
0: Well, that, you know, you're, you're doing well two ways. You've got some weight, and you're taking it easily over the end. Yeah, having that pipe right down the middle, having the plastic attached to it, and that little crank as it were on either side and if you're just rolling right along the top of those bales it probably wouldn't take you 30 seconds to put it on or off either one and if you're set up that way then yeah you're in great shape
6: it's uh i'm put some um some sandbags in uh, strategic locations just Mm -hmm. in case but that uh what you're talking about uh, you know the wind catching it but that's a really inexpensive i'm going to build a Proper uh, cold frame one of these days.
0: That's a
6: pretty inexpensive way <laughs> Oh yeah, to get through uh, January. Um, mm-hmm. That's gonna, probably going to be our coldest month. And, and We're having all kinds of fun out here. Yeah,
0: well, you know, that's, that's what gardening is. Yeah, cold frames, of course, are used very commonly as you get a little further up north. But I, I am a big fan of cold frames, I think, for... You know the serious gardener um they are just a great way to get you know to get things started uh whole things through the winter months and if they're done properly where you're just in effect raising and lowering the cover over them i, I always call them just a, a greenhouse with very low walls but uh people have been doing that for you know a couple of hundred years and uh i i wish we saw more of it down here like i say you go very far north uh, you see it every every major garden around. Uh, everybody's real serious about it. it's gonna have coal frames, but uh um you're just you're just a trend setter.
6: Yeah, we're having fun. I've gotta have room in that greenhouse for all the seedlings. Uh I'm I'm gonna have a plant rack here on one <laughs> of the local businesses, so I gotta get uh, get a few tomatoes and peppers started. But yeah, uh, it's it's
3: not gonna
0: take long to fill that little greenhouse. Well and it's you know, it's it's like you know what I always talk when I always say is uh, people ask me how big they should build their greenhouse and I always okay. tell them build it twice as big as you think you'll need and you'll outgrow within a couple of years anyway. It's uh uh it's hard to have uh too much greenhouse space. Now I've seen situations like me where you've got so many other things going on in the world is you can get a greenhouse that's more than you can keep up with but for the serious gardener that is putting a lot of time into it now there's no greenhouse is ever going to be quite big enough for all the things you want to do especially somebody like you that is into so many things and teaching so many people and just trying to trying to have what everybody in the world is asking for and I tell you what, the number of people growing seedling stock, uh, either in the six packs uh, or in the in the four inch uh, containers, is uh, is diminishing all the time. And man, I wish you could get some young people just looking to make a little bit of money, learn how to do it properly, because we will never ever have too many four-inch herbs or too many four-inch vegetables uh, as long as they're good quality and as long as they're coming on at the right time. And it's like people ask me on the show here, why do I talk about other nurseries that are my competition? I tell them they're not competition, they're just friends in the same business. And I can promise you that your vegetables are probably going to, you know, shine above anything else that's produced. So man, the more you can produce, the more you're going to make folks out to merry and happy.
6: Well, that's kind of the plan, Bob. You you hit it on the head there. Uh, we're uh, going to try to do it like my old uh, nursery friend says. We're going to try to make them retail ready,
0: <laughs> and and quality retail ready. And uh, of course, since uh, Shul's sitting out there around the corner from you anymore, from what I understand, they're totally gone. Folks out toward. Uh, marrying and out that way uh looking real hard to find another good supplier for all sorts of things so i think james can stay about as busy as james wants to stay because
3: well, <laughs> you
6: know a four inch pot with a nice tomato or pepper in it is uh is something the gardeners uh the gardeners like and appreciate uh at a fair price
0: well and you always keep up with the best varieties and uh you know, they, they, they're they going to go to the grocery stores. They're going to go to the box stores and uh, find probably, the you know, the, the big four or five tomatoes out there. But somebody like you that's growing some of the better varieties and what these guys are shipping in from New Mexico and other places, what they're even bothering to grow. James is always going to have a market for uh, your produce out there. And if you ever run short of people to buy them, I'll give you a list of nurseries that I know would be happy, you know, to buy a good oh, quality yeah. four-inch pot from you.
6: No, it won't get that big. We're just kind of <laughs> going to hang out at the feed store with a plant rack and uh, kind of keep it simple. But um, maybe uh, I can encourage uh, somebody else to, to get with the program.
0: Yeah. Well, and and just encouraging people to garden—that's it's just such a such a great thing. Very few people that that start gardening and get off to a good start. Very few people ever give it up. Uh, it's just. And today, with with all the stuff coming out uh, on this genetically modified stuff, which just, there's so much science out there that says that it is not safe uh, in the long term. Um, I think it's real interesting. I have uh, went to a lecture recently and then talked to the friend that put on the program uh, earlier this week. But he was saying so much of the research on herbicides and uh, you know, and pesticides, the alternatives to them and the controls for problems. So many of many of the new controls are coming out of Europe because over there, their governments have the sense to uh, not allow people to sell the really toxic stuff that uh, our folks seem to just approve and think, is, oh, yeah, it's just fine. Uh, and you and I both know that very few people ever read the warning labels. And uh, I don't know, to have good, clean... Fresh, locally produced produce is just—that's uh, what thinking people should be demanding. So I see nothing but uh, nothing but a good future for you and any of your students that uh, want to pursue that. And and you know, on people to get onto it on a little bit bigger basis, I know the Texas uh, Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association puts on these uh, weekend workshops periodically on on small farms and what they can do, and people are making pretty good money um you know gardening intensively but doing it right and producing good quality clean produce which i think uh you know that that's what i try to eat and it sometimes is pretty hard to find
6: well if you can go from the four inch into the ground and, and establish pretty fast uh that's what the gardener wants you know mm-hmm. and, and try to use a, a fairly fairly good media uh,
3: mm-hmm.
6: i think uh the gardener will be happy to get uh, get your plants in the ground if you can uh, get them get them there on time.
0: Sure, and I love some of these new things. Have Have you grown the shishito peppers yet?
6: Well, out here in the middle of nowhere, they're. I had one customer that wanted them,
3: so well, that's
6: not going to happen.
0: Uh, you ought to grow a little demonstration garden because that's the other thing. Of course, you've got customers out there that live on big lots and have some open space, but I tell you, um, in town where so many folks are living in, in homes on smaller lots or living in townhomes or living in apartments – and really aren't looking for a pepper plant that's going to grow four feet tall and four feet wide when we find some of these varieties where the plant stays compact but still yields a lot of produce just shishitos are one thing that came to mind that really fits that bill i think there's a a great future for people who want a garden but don't have room to have a big garden and uh I'd love to work on work on a on a list of plants that would be real suitable for the for the very small gardener because it's sometimes that's how you have to start uh, very few people move on to a 5 acre lot uh, early on in life.
6: Well, you know, you could always uh, give them a piece of chalk and a chalkboard and uh if they had any uh requests, they could write it down on the plant stand. That uh-huh. might be a way to go.
0: That'd be a that'd be a great idea. <laughs> that'd be a, a real good idea and uh something you might try putting in that feed store. When people come up to the rack to buy your four inch plants, have a place they could write in other things that they would like for you to be producing. Not that you will ever run out of things to grow or ideas, but just every now and then you you just kinda you know. Slap yourself on the head and say, why didn't I think of that? That's, I guess I'm sure of my age, I, I think back to that old commercial about having a V8 moment. Like, duh, why didn't I think of that? But that's a great idea, James.
6: Yeah, if you can have a tomato, a sweet pepper, and a jalapeno uh, to get started, and then as the season progresses, uh, squash, yep. cant- cantaloupes, and cucumbers, you can, you can keep the, the home gardener.
0: Uh, pretty busy yeah and maybe some uh that itchabon eggplant that never gets bitter is another really good thing and uh of course this time of year even fresh radishes and uh uh some fresh greens they're they're just the the fun thing about living in this part of the world is literally you should be able to harvest something from the garden every day of the year
6: boy that's the truth right there uh we we have such a enjoyable winter garden in this part of the country. Mm-hmm. I don't know why more people don't grow uh, broccoli and, and uh, cabbage and all the blue leaf uh, vegetables. It's uh, it's really a, uh, a really nice winter garden we have.
0: And if somebody wants the unusual, I love, and I think I only put six plants in this year, but that Romanesco, which I guess technically is a cauliflower. But, man, that's an unusual. It's a beautiful thing it's it's certainly tasty as well but growing something like that and these days you can have uh, cauliflower that's orange or purple as well as white and uh folks that really want to have something a little different uh to put in front of their friends and guests uh I don't know. Uh, you and I are the same. There's, gardening is just so much fun, and there's so much to do out there. And uh, Winter gardening is uh, a little nicer on the gardener, too, uh, compared to being out in 105-degree heat. Uh, a nice 55, 60-degree day It's a whole lot more fun to be out working.
6: Boy, isn't that the truth. You know, the Johnny's has got a new seed catalog out, and you can just get lost in all those new varieties you mentioned. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just amazing how uh, how it goes on and on.
0: Well, and I appreciate you raising people's awarenesses on the awareness on the pelletized seed these days. I've had two or three people tell me they've uh, followed your lead on that. And a lot of those little small seeds they've switched over to the uh, pelleted seed or pelletized seed and uh, we have you to thank for uh, really raising everybody's awareness of that option for planting some of these little seeds because it sure does reduce thinning time.
6: Boy, if I wasn't so blind, I, I wouldn't have mentioned it. But the carrots and the lettuce and all the other, uh, the basil nowadays is pelletized. It's
3: yeah.
6: uh, you know, there's no reason not to grow your own uh, um, seedlings, vegetables.
0: Yep. And uh, if you've got the, if you've got the spot and if you got the sunlight, those are the people that I feel sorry for. The ones who uh, just don't have enough sunlight. But you know, nowadays uh, some of these new LED bulbs and things like that you can grow a pretty darn good garden with artificial light if that's the only thing available to you. But, you know, there's just there's always a way. What is the old saying? Those who want to will find a way. Those who don't will find an excuse. And uh, most of the people that I know and like are those ones that are always searching for the solution to this, some of those problems.
6: Well, there's only one way to get a homegrown tomato, Bob.
0: <laughs> Come out and buy it from James? Oh, no, no, you can grow your own. <laughs>
6: grow your own. <laughs>
0: Hey, you get out and have a great weekend, and uh, we'll probably talk before Christmas, but in the meantime, just the the best of the holiday season to you. I hope you have a a wonderful Christmas season, James, and always appreciate the the wisdom you share with us.
8: Well, you guys are
6: the best, and thanks for your program. I sure appreciate it, and you all have a good good Christmas and uh, New Year's.
0: We'll look forward to that. And you have a good one as well. And I, I appreciate it. All right. Let's get back to the phone lines. We're going to talk to Jerry and then to Joyce. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. How about yourself?
9: Doing great. I'm On my way to work. And uh, I have two questions for you. Yeah. Uh, this last summer, I planted a variety of tomatoes in big, uh, I thinking they were maybe 25-gallon pots. And okay. before I planted them, I hand sifted the soil before I planted, and I took out a whole bunch of grub worms out of there. Mm-hmm. So the new grow or the new plants, you know, would have a better uh, quality of growing. I put a bunch of uh, growing green in the soil. Okay. But uh, out of all the varieties, I only got like one heirloom tomato out of that, and I got like one of the big beefy meat tomatoes. And then they kept on flowering, but the flowers would never actually, you know, come to fruition. Yeah. And I would water every other day, sometimes or every three days.
0: Well, what probably, <clears throat> if I was going <clears> to <throat> excuse me, give you a suggestion, start a little bit earlier in the year, because the heirlooms are really susceptible to nighttime temperatures, and when the nighttime temperatures get above a certain point, they'll bloom their heads off, but you will never, you'll never set fruit, so... Um, you've got to get them started early enough. And every now and then Mother Nature just decides to start hitting us with high nighttime temperatures very early in the season. So the heirlooms are are worse, but really even the most modern hybrids on the big-fruited tomatoes, this always occurs. Now, on the cherries, they don't pay much attention to nighttime temperatures, and that's why I always tell people to plant some sun gold, some uh, sweet 100s, some black cherries, some some of those. But if you're having plants that are blooming like mad but not setting tomatoes, it's probably they got in a little bit late and the nights got too warm too early.
9: I think I did do that. They were a little late. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, great. Second question is, uh, I had gotten a, a couple of clippings from my daughter's uh, fig tree a few years ago. hmm And uh, I went ahead and planted those. And I, it, one that I kept that I did not give away took off and did really well in that same size pot. And I got some, like, three-inch big uh, purple figs, beautiful uh-huh. figs. Yeah. And uh, I want to get some... Clippings done for, for family, of course. Again, from that one main plant. I was reading. Are you supposed to take down like maybe seventy five percent of the plant back down.
0: Oh Is that no, correct? no, you don't need to do that at all. In fact, you really, really slow down production. A fig wants to be a big bush, basically, and sometimes right. we prune them just to you know just uh, keep them in check but uh many other fruit trees peaches plums apricots they have to be pruned to continue good production and keep the plants healthy but uh fig tree basically all you need to do is keep it watered and fed and in good sunlight and just the bigger it gets the more figs you will get now starting new plants from figs it's a lot easier to do in warm weather than it is in cold weather but uh um you can do what is called an air layer and have absolutely a hundred percent success. If your plant is really big, something you can do this time of year is take a coat hanger or something and make a big U. And in effect, pin a limb to the ground. If you, you know, have low limbs, okay. Mm -hmm. pin that limb down to the ground and put a shovel full of dirt on top of it. And uh, by the time late spring, uh, rolls around, what you will find is that at the point that you, you know, pressed it against the ground and put the soil on top of it, it just roots like mad, and then you just take your pruning shears and cut it off, dig up a little shovel full of dirt, and you've got another pre-rooted cutting. Um, and okay. if you're, you know, if you <laughs> if you want to look way down the road, uh, do a lot, do several of them, do as many of them as you can. That is called layering, and uh, any of them that you're not giving away immediately, put them in a container, grow them for a while, and have them ready to give later in the season. What we do in the summer months, we call air layers, uh, where we take the upper branches and we just split the bark off one side of the limb. We wrap it up with moist sphagnum moss or something like that, wrap it up in uh, plastic wrap or aluminum foil. The plant thinks that that limb is broken and gone down on the ground, so it starts putting roots into that spot and it only takes about four or five weeks in the summer months and it's like a hundred percent successful, then you just go cut that limb off, peel the foil away, and plant it up, and you've got a pre rooted cutting, so your chances of success are about a hundred percent. But it's okay. there's not a way really to have uh new plants ready between now and Christmas time. But uh in the winter months I would definitely do what they call the regular layers where you're pressing the soil, the limb against the soil holding it in place and putting a shovel full of dirt on it. In the summer months, okay. you can do as many air layers as you have limbs on the fig. And uh it sounds like you've probably got LSU Purple or the Purple Giant. Uh Not real cold hardy. Don't be giving those okay. to your friends in Dallas because they're probably not going to do well. But in South okay. Texas, those are fabulous figs. Yeah, I've been covering it the last few cold spells we've had, just to, just to kind of well, the, breathing back. the cold spells that we have had so far, not really any serious threats to it. I worry about it when it gets down to 20 degrees or down in the teens. Those plant, That okay. plant's definitely going to need some protection. But these little light freezes, perfectly normal for a fig to drop every leaf this time of year. So I, I wouldn't get too excited about uh, any of the weather that I see forecast in the near future.
9: Okay. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Bob.
0: It's always a pleasure, Appreciate Jerry. It. Keep up the good work. Keep sharing those good plants when you get them. That's a, a great All thing right. to do. Thank you, sir. Thank you much. Uh-huh. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Good morning, Joyce.
5: Good morning, Bob. It was fun listening to you talk to Farmer James about that hay bale enclosure. That's brilliant.
0: <laughs> it is, if you have room to do it and you have the hay bales. And, you know, the the other problem these days, uh, you got to be sure you get clean hay because uh, I sure wouldn't just run out to the feed store and buy any hay I found because uh, so much of it has been herbicide sprayed. And um, Anyway, it's a great idea if you have the materials to build it, which is true of just about everything out there.
5: Yes, it is, and the ability. All those things enter into it. Oh, yeah. But uh, what I'm calling you about is I got a Christmas present of two trees from a friend. And uh, that in itself is wonderful, but... (laughs) uh, that that means if you can call a four inch plant in a four inch pot a tree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what what varieties of trees were you gifted with?
5: Well, that's that's the interesting part, especially after one of the commercials that you just ran.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: One is a cedar.
3: Okay. <laughs>
5: cedar Sienica Sunset, which is Thuja what? Occidentalis something.
3: Right. Yeah.
5: And the other one is Blue Star Juniper, a Juniperus um, squamata.
0: Uh-huh. Blue star. Right. So
5: anyway, uh, they say the cedar wants sun. The other one, or is it the other way around? No, they both the want sun. And the other says partial sun. Yeah. But anyway, the the uh, clue to this probably <laughs> is. Product of Canada, mm-hmm. so uh, I want to give these little guys the best chance I can. But I realize they're
0: challenges. <laughs> Send them back to Canada. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's you know through you is the uh, is the genus that includes bruce spruce and things like that, and the uh, um, all of the arbivita, all of the juniperus group are just susceptible to so many things, from spider mite to diplodia twig dieback. They're going to be pretty for a while. I definitely wouldn't put them in the ground. I probably would bump them up to a one-gallon container and enjoy them. Spray them with liquid seaweed, Um, especially your spruce type. Uh, It might even come in for a few days in the hottest days of summer, but... Uh, be very, you know, grateful you to the spruce. people.
3: Is that the
5: cedar or the juniper?
0: Uh, the cedar and the juniper. I, actually, the 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 one that probably called in cedar is the one that just is not going to like our heat. But both of them are just cedar. problematic here. Yeah.
5: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're cute little things. They look like they're called, I guess it's some kind of a novelty because yep. they look like little grapefruit yep. <laughs> little bushes. <Yeah. laughs> instead
0: of. And Joyce and I were talking about trees that uh, come from other parts of the world that uh, just don't do real well here. But, you know, I'd, like I say, I bump them up to a gallon container, keep them out on that porch or patio, and uh, should do okay with them.
5: Okay, well, we're going to give it a shot because I'm going to try to keep them around as long as I can. Another question that I wanted to ask you about, and that is about vinegars.
3: Uh-huh. Uh,
5: I've used the Bragg apple cider, and, you know, Howard talks about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to where I just automatically put a teaspoon in a gallon when I'm gonna, going to feed things. Uh-huh. But my question is, what about other vinegars like balsamic these these are quality vinegars that mm-hmm. I've either been given or tried and don't like <laughs> and I just wondered what about a balsamic or a, a a coconut vinegar and things like that
0: well you know vinegars are products of uh, fermentation basically other than the chemically derived ones you know what they commonly call white vinegar is just uh, is basically is just dilute acetic acid and it's interesting in that acetic acids are plant killers acetates are plant killers and yet the ones that are naturally produced whether it's from uh, you know apple cider or from any other fruit or similar substance um, in you know in a real concentrated form they can be bad on plants but I don't you know, I would not have any problem with just about any of the vinegars as long as they're down to that teaspoon per gallon level or something like that. I don't think you'd ever have a problem. You probably wouldn't have a problem uh, with just your normal white vinegar, but you would also not get all the benefits you get. The the advantage of some of the things like the apple cider vinegars, and I've, I've just never really thought about balsamic vinegar, but, you know, I'd love that as a, you know, salad dressing or as a... Uh, Oh, what would they call it, uh, one of these things for dipping, a dipping sauce or things mm-hmm. like that. But uh, these vinegars tend to have a lot more micronutrients and things in them and, um, and, and just have more that the plants will benefit from. But I do not really see it at a very dilute level like that. I don't see any problem with any of them.
5: And that would also hold true. I have one that's an organic, unfiltered, fermented maple sap vinegar
0: that <laughs> I just I don't
3: like it <laughs> I don't care how good it
0: is well I think the plants would be would be at the teaspoon per gallon level the thing about it when you when you add these things you are um you know you're you're giving them the benefit of some micronutrients and uh, in the case of many of the vinegars there's actually a little bit of beneficial microbial life in there and also any vinegar is going to lower the ph a little bit as you lower the ph you put more things you make more different things soluble and available to the plants that's one thing about living where we do in, here in south texas the ph is so high in our soils and in our water a lot of the nutrients are present in the soil but the plant can't get to them because they're locked up in the you know with all the alkalinity and um when you start dropping that pH just a little bit all these things become much more soluble so that's that's the number 2 benefit you get uh from you know from acidifying your water with a natural product like that so yeah i i think it's all good and i think any of those vinegars um would be fine for your plants i wouldn't look for instantaneous results but i think in long term it certainly will build stronger and healthier plants
5: well it was mostly i was going to throw them out because things that i finally decide i just don't want (laughs) and then i thought well maybe there is a use for maybe they could be used that way also and so i guess you're confirming that they could in oh
0: absolutely and you could even if you wanted to go to the trouble Um, since you apparently have some quantity of them, you could use like a hose-in sprayer or something and dilute it down. You could use that. I I wouldn't spray it directly on uh, shrubs and flowers and things, but as a soil drench, uh, you could use that anywhere in the landscape, and I think you would have benefits from it a whole lot better than just pouring it down the drain.
5: Yeah. Okay. That's why I know I don't have a whole lot, but but they're not huge bottles. But I, I just thought, oh, if I can do something with it, maybe I could do that. <laughs> and it just hadn't entered my mind before, and I wanted to ask you about oh,
0: we, it. We all clean out our pantries now and then, and uh, it's amazing what you find sometimes.
5: Now, the last thing is when you talk to Howard, would you ask him to give us a mailing address for Torque to contribute to Torque? Because. Uh, he he talks a lot about the computer addresses but I don't sure. have a computer so I would like to contribute but I need a mailing address if he could quickly give us that and I'll have pen and pencil ready
0: well I will certainly ask him that and if for some reason you don't get it uh, copied down uh, call me or see me when I'm over at the nursery when you're over there sometime it's on Orem O-R-A-M street in Dallas but I don't remember the street number or the zip code off the top of my head but i i will uh i will i made made a note here as uh you know as we're talking to be sure and ask him about that and i know he will appreciate it as do i Joyce, you get out and have a wonderful week and uh i know we'll talk again before christmas but a merry christmas season to you until we get to that point
5: absolutely to you and please give all the babies a
0: hug you know i will do it a hug or a pet or whatever's most appropriate at the time (laughs) if they've had a bath recently especially with the uh with the labs yeah hugs are sometimes uh restricted to a day or two after baths because of some of the things they like to roll in but you know (laughs) they'll get their affection i'll tell them who it came from
5: oh yeah (laughs) thank you bob thank
0: you joyce (laughs) bye all right uh next up is edgar and then it'll be steve good morning edgar good morning bob how you doing i'm doing well sir how about yourself doing
4: well merry christmas
0: and to you as well and the whole season yeah absolutely
10: yeah so i've got a question um i've got a few pecan trees
0: Mm -hmm. and um
6: i'm wondering during the winter time how often should you water these trees
0: well how established are these trees how long have they been in the ground are they big old trees they relatively newly planted
10: they're 28 years old.
0: Okay. You and and these are just out in a the field. They're not along a creek bed or any place that they've had any natural water supply.
9: Right. They're, what we do, we have a, a watering system here, and it mm-hmm. floods our whole area.
0: Okay. I would probably, if we don't get at least an inch of rain, I mean, less than an inch of rain may be good for the grass, but it's just not going to get into the soil uh, I would be watering them probably every six weeks or so. Now, if you told me that they were like my pecan trees, which are out in the field, I'd tell you to do it once every six months. But as you've probably heard me tell the story, and I won't bore everybody with it uh, again, but the where a tree has had a regular dependable water source that tree doesn't have as widespread a root system as a tree that's you know just out in nature and has been forced to grow the widest root system possible. Uh, Trees along a creek that goes dry are much more susceptible to drought damage than uh, trees that are in a field, you know, 100 yards away that didn't have that artificial water source or natural water source as it was. So your trees are probably a little bit dependent on you if they've been getting this good flood irrigation on a regular basis. So I'd figure figure on doing it every 6 to 12 weeks, uh, in the winter months probably once every two or three months is going to be enough in the summer months uh probably every six to eight weeks would be better
9: okay, so once every like three months or so was fine for the winter time for the
0: winter time uh established trees like that absolutely newly planted okay. trees 'd be a lot more often but hey twenty eight yeah, yeah, years definitely. that one's pretty well established yeah, all right, I really appreciate it that's it thank Always you Always a pleasure. You have a great weekend, and uh we'll talk again and uh I'll move on. Talk to Steve. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. I have a couple,
8: couple questions for you. The first one is, I have two trees. They're about fifteen feet apart, and they're Monterey oak. Okay. And one of them died. I think it got, uh, I think that it got heat stressed, and I couldn't. I tried to bring it back. It died. I have TIFF 419 in my yard, Okay. and my wife is dead set on planting another tree there, and I don't like the trees that close to each other. I think once they get big, they're going to choke out the grass, and I just kind of want your opinion.
0: Well, you are right with your TIFF. Uh, it wants absolutely full hot sun, and the more shade you create – the less your tiff is going to stay dense and beautiful so uh if maintaining the grass is important to you i'd probably spread those trees out as much as 30 or 40 feet apart uh on the other hand if you want a cooler yard if you want more shade uh those trees are going to i mean their branches are going to meet obviously Mm -hmm. as they get bigger but nature does this all the time. You're not going to see the just the beautiful shape of individual trees if they're 15 feet apart. But uh, uh, a lot of folks, you know, are more interested in shade than they are in uh, necessarily having a Bermuda grass growing. So uh, I'm afraid that this is a little bit of a domestic issue that I can't really tell you. I guess what it would come down to is... Uh, if you, if you want to maintain that beautiful, you know, turf, then you probably need to spread those trees out substantially, maybe 30, 40 feet apart. Um, if uh, this is something that is really important uh, to the spouse in the, this case, then you may want to sacrifice a little bit of grass for a little matrimonial harmony, shall we say. Okay. But, uh, but the trees the trees don't mind being close together, but the grass would definitely suffer uh with denser shade
8: right well this the this, this is only a three year old house so i don't I can't for the life of me figure out why they plant those trees so close together, and they do it in every single yard.
0: Well, here's, here's the reason why, not necessarily why they plant them close together, but to get most loans, especially VA or FHA loans, you have to have two trees, eight shrubs, and grass in the front yard. You can't qualify for a loan. That's one of the things that you have to have. And I guess the thing I would be thankful for is that at least your builder chose a quality tree rather than planting an Arizona ash or a, you know, something like that. But uh, many times the planning is done solely to satisfy the lender rather than with any forethought or any brain power involved in it. And I probably better not go down that road too much further because I don't have a lot of respect for what builders typically do as far as planting.
8: Well, that that explains that. I appreciate you clarifying me on that. Yeah. Uh, next question. Is, is it still good for me to put compost on there or should I wait and just put a yard dressing on that TIFF 419
0: Oh if you want you know on a golf course where you know they're using Tif on a green or something like that they put that they put a super thin layer of compost on it and they do it 8 or 10 times a year and that's why a golf green is such a beautiful expanse of grass. Now, unfortunately, there's some other things that can decrease the health, but, uh, there is nothing as good as a thin layer of compost for grass. I mean, good organic fertilizer is great, but, uh, I know of no single thing that will help maintain that grass, uh, so long as it's got water and sun, but, uh, that quarter to half inch, inch of compost is going to do more to help your grass stay beautiful than anything. Else, I think you could do.
8: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Merry Christmas to everybody out there at Radio Land, and you, you
3: yourself.
0: Yeah, thank you, Steve. I appreciate that, and you have a a good weekend this weekend, and we'll talk again. We're going to do Luis, Mary, and Charles, and Wade in that order, beginning with Luis. Good morning, sir. Hi.
3: Good morning.
0: Good morning.
3: Hi, um, I was calling because I'm clearing a lot over here in Spring Branch, and I'm trimming a bunch of oak trees. And okay. I, I
1: if you, should I put anything on those wounds, or will they heal on their own?
0: No. Um, wounds do not heal better because of anything you put on them, but if you're trimming live oaks or you're trimming red oaks, those are the true trees that are susceptible to oak wilt, which is spread by little insects that are attracted to the sap. Now, if you've got bur oaks, if you've got post oaks, if you've got, you know, some of these uh, different oaks, Lacey's oaks, uh, Monterey oaks, the white oak group, you really should not put anything on the wounds. But if you have live oaks or red oaks, then yes, it is important to seal. Every wound uh, on the tree, no matter how large, no matter how small, but you're not doing it to help the tree heal. You're doing it to potentially keep away the insects that might be carrying a fatal disease for the trees.
8: What would you recommend? Is there something I can put on there?
0: Oh, you can use, if you want to use pruning paint, you can, but just good old latex spray paint. I don't necessarily know that I would use fluorescent orange, but the color makes no difference. But uh, uh a lot of arborists say that some of your water-based paints, uh you know, are your latex-type paints are among the best things you can use, so... I don't know, if it comes in a spray can and it's cheap, uh, you could use your wife's nail polish. You could use anything in the world because the wounds only have to stay sealed for about 10 days. After that, they have sealed off to where the disease can't get into the tree. But uh, just whatever kind of uh, uh, not-too-obnoxious spray paint you have lying around will work very well.
8: Okay. Um, And is there a... Is it better to prune them like
3: in the winter time because of the oak wilt I heard I read where it's not a uh, it's not as bad during the cold season.
0: Well, you can get oak wilt spread 365 days a year. Um, in a place where they have really cold winters, and the insects aren't active up north, yeah, they don't have to paint, but in South Texas, as you have seen this week, we can grow from freezing weather to eighty five degrees in two or three days, and so, down here there's no there's no season that you can avoid painting the wounds. Uh, On a deciduous tree that drops its leaves, I like pruning in the winter just because I can see what I'm doing better without having all the leaves to deal with. But from the tree's perspective, uh, winter, summer makes no difference whatsoever.
8: Okay. Okay, that was it.
0: Great question, Luis. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Bye. All right, uh, Mary's next. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Bob. Good morning.
11: Hey, I... For, for many years, I've been collecting coffee grinds and my eggshells and using them as kind of like a top mulch for okay. my, my plants and stuff, but I I have a domestic question that I'm not so sure it's correct or not. My husband says it's good for the soil, but he takes the ash from our pit, from our um, barbecue pit, and uh-huh. our... Um, our big fire pit and he spreads
3: them on the
0: grass and stuff is that okay um it depends now from your barbecue pit does he use lighter fluid to start it or does he have a little one of these propane uh units to get his charcoal started how how does he start the charcoal in your barbecue pit lighter fluid no that that you're you're putting a toxic stuff in there and those ashes should go in the trash Um, Uh, any, anything that comes out of your fireplace or anything that comes out of your barbecue pit where you have used and, and there, my, my business partner's husband is one of the, masters of the grill, so to speak. My gosh, that guy can cook on a grill, but he's got one of these grills that just has a little propane deal that starts the charcoal, and it might make a real good Christmas present if you want to make your food healthier for you as well, but that's just a suggestion. But what I would tell you about clean ashes is they are fine, but they need to be used very sparingly because they are very highly alkaline. So you're never going to put a lot of them down. I literally get out in the garden and just take a bucket and just literally throw it up in the air and let the wind spread it on a windy day. But you're never going to put a visible layer of ash out. You're going to put it out pretty lightly. And in that case, the potassium, other things in there are very definitely good for the plants. But uh, don't dump it all in one spot and like i say that stuff has had the lighter fluid and things on it no that probably ought to go to the landfill
11: well i can't wait to get home and tell my husband that
0: because <laughs> like, i'll be very kind to him you don't want him to quit <laughs> grilling because uh certainly good things come off the grill but I, i'm serious and i don't you know i don't have a favorite store because uh, i grow it i don't cook it But, uh, look into some of these, uh, some of these different things. They're, they're very inexpensive little things you can use. They're like a little chimney you put your, uh, your briquettes in and you can literally get them started with, uh, um, you know, a, a lot of non-toxic things, or you can go to a fancy grill that you simply turn that propane bottle on for three minutes or whatever while you get the charcoal started and then shut it off there. You can spend as much or as little as you want, but there might be a real good Christmas present idea in there for you, Mary.
11: That's a great idea. And also about the coffee grinds and yes. the eggshells, there's no limit to that, right? Because
0: well, eggshells don't do a lot of good. Because of our high alkalinity, they don't break down very well. They certainly don't hurt anything. I'd sooner see them in the compost pile than in the landfill, but you're not really benefiting your plants very much with eggshells. Coffee grounds, uh-huh. on the other hand, are nothing but good. Uh, whether you get them from Starbucks like I do or whether you uh, – you know, create your own coffee grounds are a great thing for the garden, the flowers, the grass, everything out there.
11: Well, when I lived in Kansas, they told me to add the eggshells because we had a lot of beautiful hyacinths, and it would change the color of them or help well, the color. Well,
0: you're more you're you're dealing with a totally different soil, a totally different pH. And um, in our soils, that changing the hyacinths from uh, pink to blue simply doesn't work, and eggshells aren't going to contribute to that at all. And like I say, you you can go out and dig through your compost piles; and those eggshells they'll eventually get pulverized, but they're not going to dissolve and go away like they do in uh, in an area with more acidic soils.
11: Okay, I kind of thought it would kind of help lighten the soil a
0: little bit if they go I, I guess there might be some physical benefits to it, but. Uh, um. Uh, use your own eggshell that way, but don't be going out and getting eggshells from the neighbors. <laughs> you're you're not okay. doing that much good.
11: Okay. Great. Thank you so much, Bob.
0: Always a pleasure, Mary. Thank you for the call this morning. Uh-huh. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right. Back to gardening. To meet Charles and Wade and Leah and Charles is first. Good morning, Charles.
7: Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you sir. For the
0: call. Thank you're you for calling. <laughs> it's my pleasure.
7: Quick question for you about your Briggs apple cider vinegar. I'd like to take advantage of it, and I bought a bottle. But Lord love a duck, that stuff will puck you up till next week. (laughs) uh, What do you recommend I mix that stuff with, and how much to try to cut down on the potency of it?
0: Well, you know, fruit juice is probably the best thing out there, even even apple juice, but uh, orange juice, citrus, you know, Grape juice, I like pineapple juice. Pineapple juice uh, is just so good for your joints. And uh, I don't go running for some prescription medicine if my fingers get a little stiff or something. I just increase my uptake of pineapple juice. And for all of my life, that's been all I've ever needed. So almost anything like that. I mean, it's not going to make it something that you look forward to. Oh, man, I can't wait to get to my Bragg's apple cider vinegar. But it will certainly uh, reduce the pucker factor, so to speak.
7: Uh, second thing, just to share with uh, you and your audience, uh, concerning root flares, yeah. the third doctor has a fantastic little video on his website uh-huh. in which he goes out in his front yard, looks like his front yard or somebody's, and does that exact operation.
0: Yeah. I think it's actually the front yard of his office because his front yard is so shady. But uh, there's amazing how much stuff is on that DirtDoctor.com website, and that's a real good point. I appreciate you bringing it up. Anybody says, how do you do that? You can just uh, go to the video right there and see.
7: Well, it was really fantastic, and I certainly do appreciate all that you and he do our area down here thank well, you very much merry
0: our, you. and merry christmas to you and your family charles It wouldn't have a show if people like you didn't call in and talk about these things so uh you're just as important as i am and uh just wish you and your family the very best for the holidays
7: thank you i sure appreciate it and so does my taste buds
0: <laughs> let me know how you'd like it and what you find to be best uh I'm sure that there are various adult beverages that might work well, but uh, fruit juice is is for me as best early in the morning, shall we say?
7: <laughs> well, I might add a little something else to that fruit juice, but thank
0: uh, you. Yeah, yeah. Tomato juice. Uh, you might make. Well, we won't go there. You can you can figure it out. Let me know what your favorite turns out to be. I sure would. <laughs> thank, thank you, so sir. Much. Bye. All right, uh, let's talk to Wade. Good morning, Wade
12: morning bob how are
0: you sir i'm good thank you how about yourself
12: i'm doing well also appreciate it
0: chris said left me a note that says you're on the road to houston my sympathies for that but, well, <laughs>
12: actually, yeah actually i'm going through houston towards beaumont okay so, yeah but this time of day it's not too bad excellent i had a quick question or in, i think i've talked to you before about the drones. yes um, got a ton of them on the ranch where i work and mm-hmm. i've been collecting seeds have you ever collected the seeds on because some of them are black and they're starting to shrivel yeah some them are red
0: and the and red I seeds was... the red seeds are going to be by far the most viable and it is okay. re- it is relatively easily easy to get the seed things to sprout and grow but unfortunately they seem to be very, very susceptible to sort of a damping off fungus that, you know, in the past has killed 98% of them, um, before uh-huh. they could even turn into a tree. I have an idea that, you know, using some whole ground cornmeal in your potting mix and maybe even following up with a little bit of corn water tea will totally stop that problem. But, uh, no, the seeds that are shriveled are ones that probably did not get properly pollinated. Or got uh a little a little dried out. Now you recognize that the madrones are not gonna grow um very far away from the hill country. There are other madrones, there's a California Madrone, but uh um our our Madrones are real happy where they are, but uh even you know, even just a change into San Antonio uh, they don't do nearly as well. And, boy, if you start going south or start going east, uh, just forget about trying to grow them.
12: Well, I'm in Wimberley and I, where the ranch is, and I live closer to Fisher. And I'm just taking the seeds and scattering them in the yard up against some other trees. And uh-huh. Here's some oaks that are kind of thick. Cause that's what I've noticed, how they grow.
0: Right. And if, um, the one other thing that you might try, and, you know, probably cost you less than $10 to try this, but get a little, uh, package of one of the powdered, uh, mycorrhizal mixtures. I don't know for a fact, but looking, my ranch is west of Bernie, so I'm in, you know, a very similar soil type, and I have, I have one hillside that's covered with madrones where I suspect there's a little bit of subsurface water. But, um, and, and like you, they, I, I watch them grow up very close to other cedars, and I'm not sure whether that cedar simply provides them protection against browsing deer, or whether there may be something like a mycorrhizal fungus in the soil that really helps those seeds to germinate. I'm, as you may know, an old orchid grower from many, many years back, and in the history of orchid growing, nobody was successful in germinating seed 100 years ago. Until they realized that you had to inoculate it with a mycorrhizal fungus in order to get it to even sprout and grow well, so you might uh there's a company up in Bernie that uh, David Steinbrenner produces a real good mycorrhizal product. Um, you okay. might try inoculating your seed with that before you scatter it around and in this case, I would probably bury it just a little or I just put a little soil. Over the top of it to increase your chance of success with it.
12: Okay, we'll do. And, and back to this, uh, with them growing up against cedars and stuff. Uh, uh-huh. When the owner of this particular ranch bought it 25 years ago or so, they stumbled across a huge one, uh-huh. and they immediately thought the cedars were damaging or not, you know, not a friend to it, I guess. And they right. cut all the cedar out from around it,
3: yep.
0: and
12: it
9: died.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's um, and and I. When you say giant, how big, uh, how thick through would you say the trunk was on it?
12: Oh, probably six inches.
0: Okay. Yeah, I've got one on my ranch that the trunk is probably maybe fifteen inches uh, across, and I have th- I have thinned the cedar out around it, and I think. Uh, if anything it's doing better. Uh, because you know, as Uh-oh. if you study the, the madrones on the ranch that you have access to, you know how they're always full of dead wood and things like that. Yeah. Um where I have thinned the cedar around this monster uh, I'm seeing less of that, I think probably it's reduced the competition for what groundwater there is in the area okay. uh, i would I would never take them all away because among other things, you can actually get sun scald on the even on the trunk of an oak tree if you uh take so much of the cedar away, especially on the west side of the tree and I'd i'd talk to people all the time about clearing cedar because i think it's an incredibly good thing to do but i'll tell them leave some of the cedars on the west side of the tree because they're actually protecting that trunk a little bit from the sun so it's um you know cedar clearing is like everything else you got to think you can't just do it you have to put a little thought into, you know, why you're doing it and keep things like that in mind, which uh, you obviously are a very observant person and have seen that. But uh, sunscald right. is, yeah. is is as much of a problem as, uh, you know, in, in a lot of different trees, not just with madrones and with that real smooth, unusual bark that we love about them. I suspect that that could be part of the problem of this uh, big tree that they cleared around. Yeah,
12: uh, that makes total sense. Well, I appreciate your time, and uh, have a great day.
0: And you have a great trip, and be safe over there, and uh, look forward to our next visit, Wade. I appreciate the call. Yes, sir. Thank you. you Thank you. Uh, certainly. Bye. All right. We're going to get back to the phone lines in just a second, but, Joyce, I tell you what, I will definitely get Howard to repeat this uh, when we visit in just a few minutes, but if you've got your pencil or pen ready there, uh, the address for Torque uh, for contributions uh, is post office box. That makes sense. Uh, post office box 140650. And that's in Dallas, of course, and the zip code is 75214. So I'll get Howard to repeat that in just a few minutes when we're visiting with him. But uh, if you want to write it down now, for Torque, it's uh, one post office box 140650. That's Dallas, Texas, 75214. All right. To the phone lines, it's going to be Leah and then Craig. Good morning, Leah. Greetings,
13: Mr. Bob and Radio Land. My (laughs) question to you this morning is my celery. Of course, I'm not knowledgeable when it comes to the garden. Uh, I'm just going to give you what I've done. Cut the celery, use the bottom, warm water, uh, grew a bloom. Mm -hmm. And I transfer over to a little paper pot that's four inches. When I see it grow about five inches, I transplant it to my handmade plastic bottle uh, containers. Okay. Uh, The squirrel got it once. My chickens got it once. I heard your input about (laughs) the eggshells, because I have chickens, but... I like the idea about the coffee grinds on my mm-hmm. coffee. Sure. Uh, to the, And I save rainwater, and I put rainwater in my plants. Today, at least three of them are just, like, swinging or hanging over. I wouldn't know the word to say. What am I doing wrong?
0: Well it it may have to do with wind again there are a lot of plants that are very sensitive to the cool dry winds that we have had and it just dehydrates them so badly um in our area leaf celery tends to grow better than the big old stalks of celery that uh you know that you will buy at the grocery store but leaf celery if you like the taste is really pretty easy to grow here but Always when you get that drooping, um, it's simply a sign that the plant has lost moisture faster than it can take it up through the roots. Uh, Sometimes that's a matter of a root issue, whether you've got something destroying the roots, whether the roots have stayed saturated to the point that a lot of the root hairs have died and the plant simply isn't able to take the water up. Other times, like these uh, cool, dry winds, uh, they simply pull the moisture out of the plant faster than the plant can take it up. So um, I would just be guessing as to why you've got three plants that are drooping this morning. But having looked at a lot of plants drooping from the cool winds we've had this week, I would say maybe move it to a little bit more protected area. If it's already in a protected area, then I have to... uh, I have to worry a little bit about the root system and, you know, uh, being sure that it's dried to the proper point. always helps put a little garret juice or something like that uh, in the water when you're watering those things. But but all I can really tell you about a droopy top is it means that it's losing moisture faster than it can take it up.
13: Well, they I babysit them. I travel and follow the sun. They're in boxes. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, walking with the sun. I put them in the shed at night. Yes, there's been a night or two that I forget, and it's cold, but uh-huh. I didn't think they would droop. And they are staying moist, but I, I understand they need a lot of water. Is that correct?
0: Well, you know, too much water, it's not the water that causes a problem, but if the soil stays saturated, then it drives the oxygen out of the soil, and plants' roots uh-huh. have to have oxygen to survive. So water never kills the plant. If somebody took me and stuck my head in a bucket of water for 10 minutes. The water didn't kill me. The lack of oxygen did. And plants are the same way. So I always tell people there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So I would recommend on your celery and every other plant you grow, when you water it, really flood it. But let that soil dry to the proper point, which is going to be for celery or for most other things. I'm going to let it go till it's dry, maybe half an inch deep before I water it again. But I sure don't want to water too often because that would be damaging to the roots. Yeah. Well, I think that's relatively easy to correct. And getting those roots back, again, you know, uh, if you want to go 100% organic, uh, Garrett Juice is the best thing on the market. Uh, drop or two of super-thrive in the water. Uh, there's it, it has a rooting hormone, which I don't think it even needs, but um, that helps plants. Uh, there are a number of different things uh, that you can do, but it's important that whatever – uh, you do with your watering, just just remember to let them dry to the proper point. And how often that is is going to depend on how much light they get, how warm it is. You can't ever water anything by the calendar. You have to water it by feeling the soil.
13: And I I think that's my problem.
0: Well, you let me know how the plants respond, and you have a wonderful weekend, Leah. Safe holidays. Goodbye. And you as well. Goodbye. Okay, let's finish up this hour with Craig. Good morning, Craig. Good morning,
10: Bob. Morning, sir. I'm going to talk to you about kind of the same type of watering stuff, but with blackberries. Okay. I started growing uh, blackberries about five years ago when you were talking about them on the radio. Uh huh. They tend to be by far the favorites for the family, and uh, <laughs> my my three plants that I planted that used to be fairly small have now grown into a twelve by eight bush.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're making new plants around oh, the base yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, they're
10: popping up every place else in my tomato garden and everywhere. So what I'm going to do, I've got 12, uh, 15 big 50-gallon tubs, the salt-lick tubs for yeah. cattle. Okay. That I've drilled a couple holes in the bottom of.
0: Drill multiple holes, light. not just a couple. Probably put 10 or 15 holes in okay, the bottom. So and Okay, and,
10: yeah, pretty good size one-inch holes. Okay. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm going to line them up on either side of my garden, 12-foot um, apart, and I want, to, I want to put some irrigation systems in. So and I know you've talked about it, you've done it in years before and probably have them. And I want to hook up like PVC going up into the bottom of the, the um, tubs or going up over the top of the tubs so I can hook them up to a timer. And, and when I go on vacation, they don't you know dry all out. And sure. Stuff. So what's, what's the best way to do that?
0: Well, you know, if it were me, I like this pressure-compensated drip tubing that Rainbird puts out. I'm not a fan of the little spaghetti tube-type drip uh, in our water. It tends to plug up so badly with calcium. But Rainbird makes what they call pressure-compensated drip, and it is a tubing that has a little emitter every 12 inches, and uh, each emitter puts out nine-tenths of a gallon of water per hour. And they have a, um, you know, they have a separate tubing that is blank that has no emitters, and you and the stuff is inexpensive. You can put it together. Uh, the little fittings that you use to put it together. I find that they are susceptible. They get brittle in the sun. But I've had the tubing in place in my garden um you know for several years now and I occasionally have a fitting break but the tubing is still great but what I would do is use the blank tubing to go from container to container and the container itself I just do a big spiral and there are probably two or three loops around I've just been past couple of weeks helping my business partner reinstall some stuff in in her garden and I'm not a huge fan of drip, but, you know, sometimes it's it's the easiest way to be able to leave town and have them on a reliable, you know, irrigation system, and I've got a couple of places where I know I've got a 200-foot run of this uh, uh, drip, and I get exactly the same water out of the last emitter as I do out of the first emitter, and that's the beauty of this. I do not like soaker hoses. I do not like, like I say, many forms of drip, because a lot of times, the uh, only way you know if you've got a problem with it is when the plants start to die. But I've been, I've had very good success, and uh, what I would do, like I say, in each of those uh, molasses tubs, I'd just make kind of like a, a big spiral, and then you can use a little, uh, they're just little pushing connectors. It really helps if you keep a you know, a, a mug full of hot water there and just stick that tubing down in for a few seconds to soften it, then those fittings uh, slip in very, very easily. And in your situation where I'm not going to be there every day to water them, that's what I would do.
10: Okay. Uh, sounds like a plan. And do, what is, do, do these hoses, do they screw on like a standard? No,
0: no, no. They, in they in Let me let me hose? tell you about that off the air because I've got to go to news and put you on hold for just a second. This is KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. Ah, but as you, as you undoubtedly know, if you've been listening for long, don't outright right this second. We'll save about approximately the last thirty minutes of the show for more calls. But right now, we have the chance to have our weekly visit with uh, one of the greatest guys I know, Mister Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor. Good morning, Howard.
4: Good morning. How's everyone?
0: It is a beautiful day in South Texas. I hope it is in North Texas too. This is what winter ought to be 40 degrees in the morning and 75 in the afternoon. <laughs>
4: yeah, I, I agree. It makes it pretty pleasant during the day, doesn't it? Plants like it too.
0: It really does and the poinsettia delivery boy loves it because he mm-hmm. he can leave the plants on the porch if nobody's at home and <laughs> I think of all my years of driving around the city of Dallas uh, for my grandfather's flower shop delivering poinsettias and it's just a tradition that uh, only time of year we do you know regular home deliveries but I sure put a smile on a lot of faces <laughs> taking poinsettias to them and they're beautiful this year.
4: Yeah, and you were showing me some new uh, cool varieties that y'all have there at Shades of Green they, yeah. that I really uh, really liked.
0: Yeah, it's it's just it's a fun time of year. And uh, hey, I appreciate you uh, emailing or to or texting me the uh, the address for Torque, and I appreciate Joyce asking about bringing up the fact of uh, contributing here to Torque. And um, I Doug is so good about getting that letter back to you, which is. Uh, you know, satisfies the IRS to show that it is indeed a charitable contribution. So, take just a minute and tell people what Torque is, and let's give them that PO box one more time.
4: Well, <clears throat> Torque is um, is the nonprofit that we set up. It's a legitimate five hundred one c three. It's the Texas Organic Research Center, and uh, the mission is is twofold. We're doing our experimentation with uh, things all the time. A lot of it's anecdotal, which some people don't, you know, put much stock in. But uh, it works for me. I've learned a, a lot, and you have too. You know, oh yeah, that route. But also the other thing that we do is we uh, continue to uh, find and uh, amass the research that's out there by other people, and put that together on on the website. And it, it, it's in two areas. Basically, one. Information about the negative stuff, you know, why you shouldn't be using Roundup and 2,4-D and the dicamba and all this uh, other toxic stuff, and then the uh, positive things too, why certain things work and why uh, they work, where to get more information on, and all that kind of thing. So, it's uh, the the sale of our uh, stuff from our website, the books that we have on. Our site and our art and our class and everything uh, are sold to, uh, you know, come up with money for uh, torque, and it's all tax deductible and uh, tax free
0: and all that. Too. And people people tend to get some free seeds and maybe some other good fun stuff when they contribute as well. So it's a uh, right. it's a real win-win situation. How did your uh, how did your art gathering the other evening go?
4: Well, we've done two. The first one was great. We had a, a great turnout. The second one, uh, I think there's just, it was a lot less uh, well attended. I think there's too many things going on, getting ready for Christmas oh, and parties absolutely. and other obligations and all that. We'll probably have a third one in January sometime. Uh, we had some good people come by and had some good conversations and that kind of thing. It wasn't just quite as good as the first one that
0: we had. Well, very good. Well, let's give the TORC, uh post office box one more time for folks that uh, do want to. I mean, this is year in. This is time people are thinking about supporting good causes, and I just can't think of any better. You'll be getting my contribution in the next week or so, whenever I have a few minutes to sit down and send it. So uh, tell everybody that address one more time.
4: Well, it's uh, Torque T-O-R-C, or Texas Organic Research Center, and the address is Post Office Box 140650, Dallas 75214.
0: Very good. Well, what else is going on? Um, one question that I had that uh, I, I know you haven't had as much conversation recently with Michael Amaranthus, and of course he's our our guy that's uh, uh, so knowledgeable uh, about mycorrhizal fungi, But had a conversation with somebody recently wondering how effective, you know, so many products contain, people are adding mycorrhizal fungi to them, everything from mulches to fertilizers to Garrett Juice Pro, which is uh, what I use in my garden and for so many different things. How stable do you think uh, the mycorrhizae are? Do you think they remain indefinitely in the soil in these products? How much How much are people actually likely to benefit from them?
4: Well, that, that's the main thing that Mike did, was come up with a way to stabilize mycorrhizae mm-hmm. in uh, both dry and liquid products. That's his real claim to fame. So any of the products out there that have their stuff, and I don't know how you Yep. totally verify that, but I'd be extremely comfortable with it. Other companies, I don't know. I just don't haven't had personal uh, dealings with them. Uh-huh. But I think for the most part, you get benefit from using the mycorrhizal products, the fertilizers that are on the market, and there's there's at least a half a dozen now that have mycorrhizae and also beneficial bacteria. Sure, uh, in the in the products, that those things are probably worth the money you know making the fertilizer cost a little bit more money you don't have to do it you can do what some of our even our critics recommend you know don't put out anything but shredded tree trimmings mulch and your own (laughs) urine and your own compost yeah if you don't do anything but those things you'll develop mycorrhizal fungus and have good root systems and have good production but most people are not patient enough to go that route.
0: Sure. So all sure. these
4: other things that we talk about just speed up the process.
0: Well, and I've not noticed that it really adds to the price of things. I mean, I guess it would depend on how much they're putting in, but I haven't seen an increase in the price of the fertilizers or the compost or certainly the Garrett Juice product, the Garrett Juice Pro that has it in there. I'm, you know, I just think it's something worth looking for, and I, I don't really think you pay much extra for it.
4: I think it's a better way to go because you're you're going to have to buy both things if you don't use it. Or if you're going you know going to go in, into using that that microbe, and it's going to cost more money than the products where it's where it's blended together. So it just depends on what people want to do and what their budgets are.
0: Sure, and uh, you know people like Espoma have been doing it for years. I know the uh, Medina people are putting in a lot of their products. It's uh, It's just a good thing, and of course, you know, as we've discussed, there are a handful of plants. And I always laugh when I think about the one one of the plants that does not form a mycorrhizal association is amaranthus. Yeah, and and this time of year, I know broccoli doesn't, so I suspect most of the cole family plants don't. But uh, woody shrubs and trees, and most everything there certainly do, and uh, it's very important part of uh, building up the hardiness and the resistance and things like that to plants. So I think it's always worth talking about.
4: Well, uh, my latest column was about uh, living Christmas trees, and we ran into a couple of interesting things there. One, uh, uh, Maggie, who works with us to help us with our website, and uh-huh. like, uh, sent me a note and said, that she was updating the Japanese black pine entry in the, our library on DirtDoctor.com and needed a photograph, didn't have one there. And, you know, it's a plant I used to design in all the time. Do mm-hmm. y'all ever use it there in San Antonio?
0: You know, the Aleppo pine seems to work better than the Japanese black pine. I've In people that have relatively good soil, yeah, I have two or three friends around that have beautiful specimens. And of course, it's uh, it's a little more compact. It's uh, practically an artistic tree in the way it grows, but it is not widely used here. I think you probably see a lot more in Dallas. The principal two pines we see around here are the Italian stone pine and the jalapensis uh, or Aleppo pine.
4: Yeah, I... Uh... I think that the uh, Italian stone pine is the toughest by far. I don't recommend Japanese black pine anymore at all. I used to design it in every project I did and it mm-hmm. has real interesting character. It's yep. not a uh, you know, a uniform growing tree so I like it, but I think it just kind of goes downhill with the alkaline soils over over time. But anyway, but but I had some good shots of some of the pre-ones that uh, still exist here in Dallas on the uh In the library. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the next uh, column about uh, the sick tree treatment and what all things that it will help with and I'm including we're able to put more photographs in than before but I'm putting in the fact that if you have if you want to give somebody a gift of how to solve a problem they might be having with their trees the Mm -hmm. sick tree treatment would be a great gift to give them uh, in writing in the column or from the you know, from one of the books or the uh, website if you want whether they're having uh mistletoe mm-hmm. invasion or t- dead tip growth or cankers in the tree or chlorosis and yellow leaves or storm damage or lightning damage or insect or disease, sure. any of those things. I'm going to <laughs> list them all and put some photographs in.
0: Well, I, I would strongly suggest uh, that you also put something in there that says a tree doesn't have to be sick to benefit from the sick tree treatment. We call it that because it tends to restore health, but yeah, it'll a make point. a healthy tree healthier, so you use it on everything.
4: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Now, a couple of quick things that kind of follow up on things that we've talked about and I've heard you uh mention on on the uh on the show on the tree paint I think people realize that I'm not as uh, uh firm about you know recommending to use tree paint paint I'm more cavalier than you are mm-hmm. um you're probably uh Smart to do it, but I just uh, I keep pushing the envelope to see how much I can get away with it. But one of the, the things about tree paint that you might want to add to your recommendations to people down there: the very best tree paint on the planet is called Lac Balsam. Uh
3: huh.
4: It's L A C. B o b a l s a m black balsam, and it's uh, it's an imported product. It comes from France. <clears throat> it's one that uh, Lambert's introduced me to years ago.
3: Hmm. One,
4: it's got a very nice color. It's, it's almost like the Lambert green. It's not exactly, but it's close to that. <laughs> and it stays flexible and huh. breathes. Yeah. And it, it allows the... Uh, uh, the callus to reheal quicker. That's one reason I don't recommend treating paint very much at all, yep. is that it does restrict the uh, the healing of the, of the wound. But the other two, they're kind of cool. Well, any latex paint, like you mentioned, is good. But also, orange shellac mm-hmm. works well. And if you do the orange shellac, you can paint it right in the center of the cut. You You don't even have to take it out all the way to the edge, and the fragrance helps huh. with the with the thing uh, you know what you're trying to do as well. So those are just a couple of things to add uh, to well, your thoughts Well, I on
0: that. I appreciate it. We just see so much oak wilt down here. Y'all are blessed that you don't have much of it in the Dallas area, but it's just it's becoming more and more widespread. And I personally think that uh, I I don't think there's any doubt that people that are not on an organic program their trees are going to be much more susceptible to oak wilt and unfortunately we've still got way too many farmers and ranchers that are out there with the synthetic fertilizers and the weed killers and everything else and then they wonder how you know why they have so much oak wilt and you know i don't the pruning paint to me is it's never for the benefit of the tree as far as improving wound healing because the tree does that on its own but uh, it's just to keep the blasted insects away but my gosh, I, I I think what we're talking about more and more and more is uh, making your trees basically immune to oak wilt through following basically a sick tree treatment program, but anything that is going to improve this, whatever we call it, this uh, this immune system in trees because I fully believe that whether it's using... Uh, well, any of these products that stimulate this response in the trees, you can make your trees just pretty much uh, immune to oak wilt and many other diseases and many other problems, just like you can the phytophthora on the, you know, on bedding plants and just a lot of different things that uh, just the sick tree treatment through the cornmeal and other things in it just builds up this immunity.
4: Well, that's why I'm writing this column about uh, what all things it helps with, and it's just a myriad of of problems. You know, what causes all those things is either you've planted the wrong tree, a tree that's not uh, adapted to where you planted it, or environmental issues. Mm -hmm. And environmental issues can be contaminated soil, compacted soil. The use of the high nitrogen fertilizers, which are the most antagonistic thing to mycorrhizal fungus that you can use, almost. Some yep. of the herbicides are worse, but but high nitrogen fertilizer is is one of the big things. The thing on, um, you know, the knitted beetle uh, and and oak wilt that, that I've always had, uh, I've always scratched my head about a little bit is that pruning wounds aren't the only wounds on a tree. Oh yeah. You've Almost always got. Yeah. Uh, hail damage squirrels eating the bark you know other rodents all these other things and if you're going to prune all the da- the damage on a tree you'd be working <laughs> quite oh, a, it'd be
0: quite impossible a long time yeah up. every time you have a windstorm you have damage but uh i, I think that a lot of that has come about because so many of the oak wilt centers that we see in South Texas, uh, where they seem to originate is where the power companies come through pruning trees. And, Improper pruning. Yeah. That's
4: right. Exactly right. Too many limbs coming off, lifting the bottom limbs. But anyway, that was just something to add to the, to the thinking cap there. The other thing I wanted to pass on to you, one of my uh, research people, one of my listeners passed on something to me the other day that was a little... Disturbing to me because of what you and I've been recommending for a long time, he used some coffee grounds uh-huh. in an experiment that proved that showed something very interesting. He used it in his potting uh, soil in flats and in pots when he was put. Uh, germinating seed, mm-hmm. and he did he did some with and some without coffee grounds. And where he used coffee grounds, his germination was terrible. Really? Yeah, really impacted. He did he did it again, and I I threw it out on the air and told other people to try it and see if we you know we're getting you know some replication there. But it's just something uh, to think about. I'm I'm like you know you and I've been recommending coffee grounds for a long time, and I've seen good results i have been putting it in one or two areas outside Mm -hmm. here at at my place and i'm i've seen pretty good results but that's just something to also um, think about now and we'll he he has sent me photographs of it and Uh i'll add it to the website and we're going to get some more done too and see you know a company looked into it down there and was going to put a commercial product out and didn't do it maybe they ran into something similar i don't know
0: you know i've never blended it into the soil and that might have something to do with it. i've always used it just on the surface where plants were growing and uh i've not seen i've not seen anything but good results but it may be that blending it into the soil it has some sort of Negative effect, negative effect on uh, seed germination, or something like that. But it's something we sure need to be aware of. And I just, I guess, I never thought about that.
4: What he was suspicious of, what he did was he used a little thin layer on the surface of the potting soil where he was germinating Mm -hmm. seed, and he he suspects that it may be the caffeine. Interesting. That's hurting germination. But anyway, just another thing to think about. Um, one, and one quick thing for you on vinegar, uh, the vinegar rate that, that you've talked about it at a quarter, uh, uh, or one teaspoon to a gallon or something like that, yeah. that's fine. You probably get benefits from it, but you can certainly go up to an ounce per gallon
3: okay, and,
4: and not hurt anything at all. And in fact, that's primarily what I recommend. That's what it's in the Garrett juice mixture at uh, and, okay. uh, you know, other things. And I'll probably drink it at that rate,
3: too. <laughs> so, I think it's good for you from that standpoint.
0: Do you, do you have a favorite thing that you mix it with? I mean, I don't mind being puckered for a minute or two after and I just you know as, as my mother used to say hold your nose and take this medicine but uh, I if for somebody who really objects to the flavor fruit juice what do you think is the best thing to, to mix well, one of the it with?
4: things that I've gotten into doing regularly because it seems to help help me is I use uh, one of these uh, powdered vitamin c things I mm-hmm. get one from you know one of the health food grocery stores yeah and I can't remember brand name but yeah I think it may be their store brand, but i I put that in there and then I put the vinegar in you know fairly heavily with it and the the citrus flavor just kind of you know, tones it down, but I mix it in just water, I mix it in smoothies, I mix it in all kinds of different things.
0: Well, and you've got some, like you talk about your tea that you drink on the air and talk about, there there are lots of different ways to do it, and yeah, I like, uh, in anybody that, uh, y'all have the natural grocers up there, the, the most common One of those things is that one they call Emergency, and it's just, it's got a lot of sugar in it. Uh, Natural Grocers has one. It's called, I think it's called Ultima that also comes in a little package that is uh, basically electrolytes and, uh, some sort of, uh, flavoring in there, but no sugar. And that's one that I've gotten because I drink, I, I drink a lot of that stuff because working outside in the heat, just staying hydrated, I think it's so, Important to have some electrolytes in there, and that's one that I found that I like the taste of, and you don't have all the sugar that you have in some of the other products.
4: Yeah, I was uh, one of my golf buddies I uh, was playing with the other day. We had a uh, uh, he was in he's a stockbroker, and we had another guy in the group that's a doctor, and he started asking the the doctor, not me, not the dirt doctor. <laughs> About what uh, to do for indigestion, he's coming in on a regular basis, and he recommends some, you know, pharmaceutical thing. Oh sure. But I just kept my mouth shut. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> corner him later, and tell him that if he'll just take some vinegar every, every day, you won't have that problem.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's
4: pretty easy to uh, avoid taking those pharmaceuticals there for uh, heartburn and that sort of thing. No, heartburn. That's specifically
0: this is crazy and and I'm still a fan of uh, Dr. O'Hara's probiotics if you feel like you need especially if you have for whatever reason had a serious enough product that you or a problem that you needed some sort of antibiotics I, Dr. O'Hara's is the best I, have you found anything better where people want to take a no. probiotic
4: I, I hear some radio advertisements that's pointed directly at O'Hara's I think because they say you've got to get a probiotic that's kept in the refrigerator if you don't you know, even no matter what they say, <laughs> uh, the dry product may be left out on the dock in the sun and and uh, be totally ruined. But that, that that's what's so great about it here is they ferment it for four years, yeah. and it can take just any kind of regular uh, temperatures. And uh, you know, if it stayed out in the sun for 150 at 150 degrees, it might hurt it. But that's gonna hurt anybody's product. No,
0: mine mine sits on a, a shelf in my bathroom and. Uh, uh, I, I I very much believe in it. I'm blessed to, well, my old graduate school days, I certainly had stomach problems, but that, that could have been caused at least in part by some of the stress and some of the other things that I was uh, consuming. But uh, as an adult, I've been very blessed to not have much, but I attribute that in part to taking the uh, apple cider vinegar and Dr. Here stuff on a regular basis.
4: Yeah, I think it helps a lot. Well, I hope everybody's uh, up to date uh, on their uh, Christmas shopping and everything. If not, better get out there and uh, get with it. I'm gonna, I gotta finish a column that I'm running real far behind on, and I'm gonna hit the road and run around and try to catch up on some uh, things.
0: Today. Well, you know, I just, I just think about how pleased my friend was that I got you to autograph a one of your big books for while you were down here, and people just, uh, just need to know that the, the, your books and the books that you co-authored with Malcolm a few years back they're just they're just timeless I mean some of the things we've uh probably added to we've enhanced our knowledge and the way we do things but boy for a basic res- reference you just can't do any any better than uh those books and buying them through dirtdoctor.com uh and contributing to torque is uh is one great thing to do and just my idea of a great Christmas present for any gardener out there
4: Well, I appreciate that, and the real nice gardening tools and uh, wonderful plants and gift ideas that you guys sell is uh, certainly... uh, I think people don't think about going to the garden centers a lot for holiday gifts, but y'all just have as good a selection of stuff as any... Uh, retail store i've ever seen well it's prettier than most of
0: them (laughs) if you if you ever find one that you think is prettier or has something they're doing better man take a picture and uh, and send it to us we try everywhere we go when we go to gift markets and places to go travel around to a bunch of the different nurseries around and i'm just uh, just appalled at what people in some parts of the country think a, a good garden center should look like but uh there there's just a lot of fun stuff out there and just a lot of great gardening gifts and from uh you know tabletop fountains to beautiful wind chimes i i think most people could find something for just about everybody on their list at a good garden center
4: well i think that uh it's you know, running out of time. I guess. Well, are we going to do one more show before Christmas, or what?
0: Yeah, I'm going gonna, gonna to be here next Saturday. I okay. You're available at home or wherever you may be. That's a that's a wonderful thing. If you're not in the middle of giving a talk or something like that, uh, everybody, I, I I wish I could just share with you all the feedback, all the positive feedback I get from people that enjoy our our time here on Saturday mornings with you so much. So we appreciate it and wish you a great week and look forward to talking next Saturday.
4: Well I enjoy it every week and I'll see you guys uh, in a week.
0: Look for forward sure. to it, Howard. Thank you right. so much. <laughs> Goodbye. Mr. Garrett is the Dirt Doctor, and of course the uh he and his company, his staff, I should say, uh put dirtdoctor.com always updated, always new things showing up there, including his uh, articles that he writes for the Dallas Morning News. So if you're not familiar with dirtdoctor.com, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a great resource for you and uh like I say, torque is just a, a great 401c3 if you're thinking of making uh, charitable contributions before the year-end. Uh, I sure hope you'll think about that. I'm realizing I'm I'm sitting here thinking, Joyce, I told you wrong on the genus on uh, on that cedar out there. through you say something uh, a little different, but I think the advice we talked about there is still the same. And Alice is up first. Good morning, Alice. Good morning, Bob. Good morning.
2: I, um... Stop. Get away. I have... Problems with my with my with the gophers out here. Uh huh. They are just taking over my fig trees. They've killed three of them. I had six. Anyway, I um, had some uh, uh, cedar mulch chips around them for oh many years. But mm-hmm. either way, uh, when those chips broke down completely, I think that's when the gophers took over my my trees.
3: It the could roots. be.
2: They just ate the roots and i one big old limb would just die and and drop you know i could just snap it off
3: Mm -hmm.
2: now uh there's a um um materials yard across the highway from me and they have the cedar shreds Uh and uh i'm wondering how it looks like wrinkled spaghetti it just uh i don't know how long that would hold up compared to the chips what do you think
0: if it is, you know, if it is our native juniper uh ground up, I think it would hold up about the same. You can actually buy cedar oil that you can use to refresh the, you know, the aromatic quality. It's sold under names I think the most common one is called Cedar Side. And I think if you are using it for a repellent purpose and it's working for you, I'm probably thinking about getting a little cedar side or another good cedar oil product and just, you know, re-spraying your mulch every six months or so would be uh, a lot less work than actually bringing in additional product. But, uh, I, you know, mulches are good. Cedar mulches are outstanding. You, I'm you. You down south, and you have a lot more problems with gophers than we do in the hill country. Uh, They are amazingly easy to trap. In my graduate school days, I trapped a lot of gophers in a research program with uh, another professor there, and uh, I learned how to trap them very, very effectively. Which you can certainly learn to do. Use a pair of traps, tie them together with a piece of cord or string, and you know. You dig down, you expose the tunnel. You don't know which end the gopher's end, so you set a trap each direction. But if you're finding that the cedar repels them, that's easier and a lot less work. But uh, look for some cedar side because you can refresh your existing mulch, or you can keep, uh, if you put new mulch down, you can keep it aromatic for a longer period of time. I suspect the shredded cedar um, that you get is going to be at least as effective as the chip's
2: then i won't have far to go to get it All right,
0: well, thank you so much <laughs> oh, you're certainly welcome alice thank you for the call this morning okay next up is arthur good morning arthur good morning my
4: son bought a house in the boulevard spring branch area and okay he wants to put
10: fruit trees in.
0: uh-huh
4: what are some good fruit trees
0: well there are lots of good fruit trees um some of them more work than others some of them produce more quickly than others uh the the easiest oh if i had to pick probably the the two easiest fruit trees to grow one would be figs figs are just almost foolproof so long as you can uh, give them plenty of water and plenty of sunlight not everybody likes figs but if you like figs i would very definitely start with two or three different varieties of figs and you can pretty much pick all summer long Another tree that is very long-lived, very problem-free, but is slow-growing and a little slower to produce are the uh, Oriental persimmons or Asian persimmons. They have names like Fuyu and Achia and Taninashi and uh they are they will do extremely well in that area and like i say it's, you have to be patient with them but they require virtually no pruning and virtually no care other than water and fertilizer if you choose a pear tree as long as you get a variety that's resistant to the bacterial fire blight, and they're actually rated, each variety has a rating, uh, and we the soft pears are all very susceptible to bacterial fire blight. The harder pears, like Orient and Kiefer and Moonglow and Seckle, uh, pear trees can live 100 years and produce very dependably with, again, very little care other than just water and fertilizer. Now, what most people want are things like peaches and plums. And so long as he chooses carefully, uh, there are varieties. On peaches in particular, he will want to choose a variety that has a chill hour rating of about 600 to 750 in that area. Uh, That's a measurement of how much chilling weather they have to have to bloom and set fruit. And there are going to be lots of uh, good peaches in that range, from John Fanick to uh, La Feliciana to, oh golly, what am I trying to think of? June gold is another very good one, extremely sweet cling peach Melba is a white peach is so sweet. Uh, people call it the honey peach. Those will all grow very well for him, but peaches will have to be pruned and cared for a little bit more than the first ones I mentioned. Plums as long as he either gets a self fertile plum like Santa Rosa or plants two or three varieties like uh Bruce and methley and uh, some of these others together to get good cross-pollination. Plums will do very well, but again, they need yearly pruning. They need a little bit more care than some of the others. So those are just a few of the different fruit trees that um, he should be very successful with. Now, he will have to be sure that his area is uh, deer-proof, so to speak, a uh, high enough fence to keep the deer out, but uh, any or all of those fruit trees should do very well for him. Just Plums and peaches are the most popular, but they're also the most labor-intensive as far as caring for them.
4: Well, it sounds like he's going to get a
3: gift card for Christmas instead of a fruit
0: fruit. (laughs) tree. And Um, I guess I should mention one other, uh, the Satsumas um uh which are you know the tangerines they are cold hardy enough that most years he would not have to protect them now lemons or limes he can grow but he's going to have to do some winter protection but uh if he wants to try citrus uh, satsuma should do pretty well for him up there as well but yeah i would get him a couple of things i get him a good book on uh on fruit trees and uh again the book that howard garrett malcolm beck did their organic vegetable book has a pretty good section on fruit trees and uh, there, there are various other ones out there. But, yeah, he just he needs to be well-informed and plan well in advance. January, February, those are going to be the best months to plant. So uh, a good gift card for Christmas would be a great idea.
3: So Shades
4: of Green has a good selection of fruit trees?
0: Actually, we have a good selection of many things, including persimmons, and citrus, but if you want uh, if you want the best selection of a wide range of fruit trees, I'm going to have to send you over to Fanix.
12: Okay. Well, you have a great Christmas, and uh, thank
0: you very much. It's always a pleasure, Arthur. Appreciate the call this morning, and you do the same. Right now, we're still talking gardening, and it's Rick's turn. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I'm
6: a, I'm a long-time listener and a first-time caller. Well,
0: thank you. A- Thank you for calling.
6: <laughs> My wife started me on this years ago, and uh, uh, we have learned so much, and we've
0: implemented
6: it in our five acres. And it, and people go by, and they they stop and, and compliment us on so many <laughs> different things. And and we get to talk to them, and, and then we put a plug in for you and say, "Man, we learned it all from,
0: from well, Bob. You you're know? you're very kind. So. It, I may have helped you avoid problems, but it's your hard work that's made it happen. So, uh, but it's
6: a pleasure.
0: Oh, yeah. You know,
6: I'm I'm 76, and I get out, and I'm, I've got a lot of physical problems. But I'll tell you what, uh, the gift that you can give to people is to to keep them active. Amen. And and to do it in something enjoyable and. And, and something that's profitable, our yeah. garden. I mean, we, w- when we have our asparagus come in, we're the envy of, <laughs> of everybody because we're, we're eating asparagus all different kinds of way for three, four months. And, yeah. and, uh, my wife makes pickles out of the cucumbers and, uh, she's learned how to can and, and freeze things. And we, we even have a, uh, a fig tree that mm-hmm. you know a lot of people say they they don't like figs because of the texture and everything, but they don't realize wh- when they have those figs and they save them and they get some of those proteate strawberries. Oh yeah, and, and mix the two together. You don't have to put sugar with with that strawberries and you make some good freezer jam and you know and you're
0: you're making on. me hungry is what you're doing right now
6: <laughs> but I just try, i'm trying to encourage people
0: well uh you're doing do a them. good thing and and like i love the words of an old fellow wrote a hiking guide to an area i love in wyoming and he always said uh we don't stop hiking because we grow old, we grow old because we stop hiking. And that's, uh, you know, that's right. activity, whether it's in the garden, whether it's uh, out in nature, but that's that's the thing that's going to, it's going to just not only keep you going, but make life more interesting. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't understand boredom. I, I know there are a lot of bored people in the uh, world out there, but. Uh,
6: I, I'd rather be outside working and be behind a computer any day. So,
0: you and me both.
6: Uh, the, the gift that you can give to people this time of the year is the gift of learning how to, uh, feed themselves with, I mean, they go to the market and they spend all kind of money on, on asparagus at $3 a <laughs> pound and stuff. And, and, and if I counted up just what we have in asparagus alone, sure, you know, I, I've, I've saved so much money just on that. And it's so in, enjoyable and, and delicious. And we have that, you know, 365 days a year, we've got something that we're picking and and eating, you know, that's come from our garden. So those that are out there that want to give a gift, give it the gift of enjoyment of of getting outside and doing things and having a little garden. You don't need a big, uh, a big five acres or anything. (laughs) Even in your backyard in the city, you can, you can have a raised garden and, and a four by four, you can grow all kinds of things. But there's there's books out there on it. Yep. And 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 I love Howard Gears. Uh, I I don't have to call in and talk to you because somebody else <laughs> is just like art before me. I was going to ask you about some some fruit
3: trees yep. that,
6: that you recommend out here, and and he called in. So yep. I just sit here and listen. And I learn a lot from what the caller
0: is. Well, I I hope you won't ever hesitate to call. Sounds like you ought to put up a sign out there for everybody (laughs) that has admired your garden and say, okay, on the... Third Saturday of March, I'm going to hold a little free talk uh, here in my garden. It sounds like you've got a lot of people in your neighborhood that would come flocking over to learn how you oh, do it. Yeah. And you're just, from the way you express yourself, I think you make a pretty good teacher, Rick. So uh,
6: I, I love it. But the but reason I called, because I, I heard you all talking about how sour that apple yeah. cider vinegar is. Right. And that was some nasty stuff for me to... To take the first couple of times, and I, I i remember when when the caller called in and said it puckered him up <laughs> and uh i I remember the first
0: few well times that that, that combination so, of strawberry and fig is a real good combination
6: yes that that is, but I'm gonna tell you the secret of
0: real real do. quickly because I'm almost out of time
6: okay, okay. uh. I mix a concentrated amount of the apple cider vinegar with the water and uh-huh. I have I have water
3: have to have or- to hold you there